Revolution is alive and it is well. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the pro wrestling edition as we slide that blade horizontally for another crimson mask dose of the performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, yes, in fact, the voice that you hear ready to swear off Monday Night Raw once and for all. After another week of WWE content that left me both high and extremely low, brother. I'm bored, brother. You better believe that. But we are back this week to break it all down for you, along with the return of Pay-Per-View Rewind, my favorite segment. Looking back at the great NXT TakeOver Fatal 4 main event from 2014. Hey, let's re let's rewind then, shall we? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow. We will also be waving that revolution flag loud and proud as we get you jacked up for Saturday morning's NJPW Dominion card from Osaka that's really, if we're being honest, just about guaranteed to hit you in that field spot with the very best pro wrestling that this planet has to offer. That's the best of the best of the best of the best of the best that this world has to offer. That's exactly what I just said, Brock. You know, and notice, by the way, I said pro wrestling there, not, not not that other term. We're not sports entertainers. We are professional wrestlers. I'm talking about, you know, FTR for life. But without any further ado, it's time to get this party started on another loaded show. Let me welcome in my co-host to help me drive this ship. Say hello to the bad guy. Oh, yeah, he's from Russia with pessimism. He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now, I have a strange feeling, BC, that you're going to be the pessimistic one on this week's episode. Yeah, if we're talking about the red bread. Yeah, don't even get don't, don't even light that fire right now. I can't I can't do this anymore. Oh, man. Before we get right into the business, right to the heart of the matter. Notice I didn't even tell the people to give us that five star review. They know that already. I got to get into it. I am so fired up. But before we even get into that, I got to come clean on something. Adam, you've been telling me since I first started working here at CBS when it comes to watching sports, when it comes to watching pro wrestling, you're like, dude, you got to get that Roku streaming player. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no. I, I, tell, tell all the people what you've been telling me forever. Okay, here's the deal, folks. If you are a true professional wrestling fan, then you just have to have a Roku streaming player. It's a device. You plug it into your TV. You can unlock thousands of live streaming and on-demand channels, including the new CBS Sports HQ app, where you can see handsome Nick Costas host every single night. And by the way, happy birthday to handsome Nick. Yes. his birthday. Not that he'll hear this because he doesn't listen to the show when he's not on it, but nevertheless, happy birthday to Nick. Anyway, look, Roku is awesome. If you have a subscription to any of the Pro Sports League apps, if you have WWE Network, if you have NJPW World, you're able to stream it through your phone onto your Roku. I used to have a PS3. The network was terrible on it. I'm just being honest. I know people have some other devices, and those are probably pretty okay. Roku is small. It's relatively inexpensive, depending which one you get. And it works 100% of the time. I got to give you credit for telling me that. You can stream this right to your TV. Right when I realized that, right when the old man Campbell came around and realized that, Adam, I had to get on board too. And it's like, even if you don't have premium subscriptions, Roku's still an awesome way. Catch up on your local favorite teams, live with apps through many cable providers. I'm, I'm coming around. I'm on board completely now with this Roku era. Absolutely. And, and you can access movies. And it goes way beyond sports. You can access movies, TV shows, more than 500,000 available 
across of all the Roku free and paid channels. So look, check them out. Roku streaming players. They start as low as $29.99, like I said earlier. That's for the basic. And guess what? You get a lot out of that. You can also spring for the higher end models. They stream in 4K, HDR, with Father's Day right around the corner. Roku makes an awesome gift. Just visit Roku.com. That's R-O-K-U.com to learn more about this device and start streaming today. I'm not putting my name behind it. I'm not letting BC put his name behind it. If it's not an awesome device, I love my Roku. I hope you get one soon. Yeah, this guy, Adam Silverstein, will not uh, shill for any product that he does not use himself. That's why you never hear him talking about All In. You know, that's what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> but now it's time for the main event. This is the main event. So, BC, before we fully get into the main event, I promised last week that I'd give a shout-out to the man who I'm calling the new ITC senior researcher, had my back when you put blatant lies about me out on this show. I was a truth-sayer and a seeker, a truth-seeker, all right? That's that's what this man is, at Connor Walshy. Uh, Connor Walsh, I believe, is his name. Thank you, sir, for proving once again that the Silver King is on the right side of history. Are you calling my guy Brian Wangyang a liar? Is that what you're calling? My my guy, Brian Yang, you're calling him out right now? Oh, that's exactly what I'm doing, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And you going along with it without doing the proper research yourself. That's well, unacceptable. On. The Silver King was slandered last week. That has been corrected. Thank you for your tweets. Thank you, Connor. Uh, let's move on, BC, to this main event. And we'll go the different direction. Not No praise here. Monday Night Raw. It sucked again. Hard. Uh, and I know that you can't take it anymore. So start us off here. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I, I, don't, I don't have some comedic bit planned for you guys. I'm not trying to be some big blowhard. You know I try to be the optimist guy here. And I'm not going to come out here and tell you that Raw's been, like, awful. It's just been vanilla for so long. It's just cut and paste. Why even try? They have that date circled on the calendar for Money in the Bank, and they are building the slowest, least uh, least savvy way, least interesting way to get there. That I'm really at the end of my, I'm really at the point, Adam, where I'm like, enough is enough. I talked. You talked last week. We said we responded to that DM question. We said, hey. Maybe the only way to change Roman Reigns in WWE got eyes, stop buying the merch and stop reacting when he comes in the arena. Well, I'm going to take that strategy and put it in play right now. I want to stop talking about Raw, the red brand, the flagship brand, the 25-year-old brand, on this brand, on this show, until we start seeing changes. I mean, Adam, it's up to us as a people to start making some changes, right? Change the way we live, change the way we treat each other, because guess what? The old way wasn't working, Tupac. So it's on us to do what we got to do to survive. <laughs> and to survive as a wrestling fan right now, I can't watch three hours and 15 minutes of Raw and report on it and come on this show and get all fired up when it's so badly mailed in. Adam, I cannot do it anymore. Like, I, I'm, you remember that great speech Joey Styles once gave when he, when he, uh, quit the job as raw play-by-play guy got a bit of sound of that for this second this is exactly how i feel right now hey wwe listen to this i am sick of sports entertainment and most of all i'm sick of you fans who actually buy into that crap this sports entertainment circus i never needed this job And I don't want this job anymore. I quit. Yeah, there it is, Joey Styles. So, Adam, (laughs) at this point, took a long way for us to get there through that long soundbite, but I quit. I quit caring about Raw. I quit talking about Raw. We know that SmackDown Live is the A show. So this segment, to open up the main event, we can go up and down Raw. We can tell you what was good and bad. But if I don't see changes next week, 
It's just not making the show anymore because I just don't care. I love me some NXT. I love me some 205 Live. You know what I'm saying? Being the elite sometimes hits me right in the field spot. Take Impact Wrestling's not too bad. SmackDown's your A show. I don't want to do Raw anymore, Adam. I'm sorry. You know, take take, it, call it, take me off this ledge. I don't I don't want to come back down from this cloud anymore. Take me t- far too long to find out what I need. Go for it. What do you got? It, it's a cute proclamation from you, but if we're doing Tupac references, just because your heart turned cold doesn't mean that we're going to see some changes coming to the ITCBC for one very important reason. A, this is our job. This is the podcast we decided to do. And B, it's three hours of main roster programming every single week with things that we do like. And even though you're going to go down this list and and sh- you know point out everything that you think sucked on Monday night, I'm going to be honest with you. Raw has been terrible for the better part of two months. And separately, because I know we're not really going to touch on it, in large part due to the fact that the heavyweight champion of the show has not been on since WrestleMania. That's not large part. That's small part. That's small part, right? No, that's a huge part because everything trickles down just like it did on SmackDown when Jinder was champion. It's the exact same problem, okay? If you don't have a heavyweight title feud to book, it ruins everything else, or if you can't book it well. Besides that point, it's too much, and there's too many important people. And this week in particular, there were too many things that were above average too good to say that you watched three hours and 15 minutes of Raw and couldn't find anything redeemable no, because it simply wasn't true. Well, it's okay. You're right. But the point is it's underachieving so bad. It's such a bland product that why? Why do like it's just impossible that it could be this bland when you have that much talent and you have that many smart minds behind the scenes. So I'm just so sick of it. I kept making those pro wrestling sports entertainment comparisons because you know what NXT was last Wednesday's episode? The one that got me to pop like 15 times when I watched it. It's pro wrestling. It's everything we used to love, you know, corrected for a for modern times. And it's so good. And even though Impact Wrestling isn't going to change you as a wrestling fan. It's pro wrestling. It really is. It's just basic pro wrestling. I'm so sick of sports entertainment. I'm so sick of what this product is. I'm so sick of merch and hard cam looks and all this stuff that is like WWE success is the worst thing financially that has happened to them creatively. It's too strong financially that it's just killed everything. And I just don't care anymore and I don't want to care. So, yeah, maybe it's dramatic. You're going to quit. Oh, what are you going to quit? You're going to quit talking about WWE. That's your job. No, I'm going to quit caring about Raw. But you're you're not fully being accurate. Like the things you're saying, some of them are true in doses on certain shows. But you can't tell me we didn't see creativity from SmackDown. So it's not WWE. It's Vince McMahon and the people that are writing Raw. And honestly, it leads me to wonder, like, is Brian James still the SmackDown lead writer? Or did he move over to Raw? And I'm not saying that to slander him. I'm simply saying WrestleMania happened and the superstar shakeup happened, BC. And everything changed on a dime. How is that possible? It's not simply Samoa Joe and Miz going to SmackDown that all of a sudden the writing of every single segment became better and them leaving Raw and Raw getting Bob face Bobby Roode and all of a sudden everything's terrible. It's not that simple. It can't be. There, there's something deep down. Smackdown. Yeah, go back there and kill. Maybe he went back there and killed Raw. I mean, that's an interesting conspiracy theory. Is Brian James running Raw now? No, I don't know. But it's just like... I can't do it. I, in, in that that Joey Styles fun sound bit that's calling out fans, 
I want to call out fans. I want to call out you, Silver King, and be like, if you guys stand for this crap anymore, then I, I can't take it. The In This Campbell podcast, the In This in this Revolution podcast may be what it has to be, an anti-Raw podcast, all right? If the blue brand's good, we'll talk about it. If not, it's Toriano all day because I can't do this as somebody who cares, who cares that much about the product. So if it's a Vince problem, which I've felt for a while it has been, then let me dig up that and pull out that sword that I always do. It's time for Trips to get the book. We all know this. Watch NXT for one week and you just see how simple and effective real storytelling is. Allowing wrestlers to be wrestlers, wrestling to stand out, everything. I'm not rewriting the, I'm not, you know, reshaping the wheel for you, Adam, but it's like, can we get Trips on the book here? Because that's the only way that this is going to be fixed. Because I cannot do it anymore. And if I'm Trips, all right? It's about time. Maybe we said, hey, Roman, maybe you're not taking the, the bull by the horns in your own career and knocking on Vince's door and saying, I can't live like this. Well, Trips, I'm calling you out this week. Maybe you got to go up to Vince and basically be like this. That makes me sick in my stomach. Every time I look at you guys, it makes me sick to think what you did to me, holding me back. You guys talk about being students of the game. I am the game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. And now it's my time to prove that to the world. Summer SummerSlam, whatever. Who cares what he was talking about? It's his time to prove to the world. Don't hold him back anymore, Adam. This sounds like break glass in case of emergency. It's a friggin' emergency, all right? That was quite a promo. When was that from? That was from uh, 98, I believe, JR and uh, Triple H on the couch. Oh, when he used to do the couch interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. No, that was great. Um... Look, man, like, it seems so strange that you're the one coming from this angle, powers of positivity Campbell, uh, you know, really, you know, changing gears here. Heel turn Campbell is what we're looking at. When the the greatest portion of this show's history, when I say this show, I mean in this corner, has been me taking that you know, advantage or not advantage, taking that uh, perspective and you talking me off the ledge well, it's been every you, single week. Because it's been you nitpicking things that are really good. I feel like I'm just saying... The apathy oh, that's not is, true at all. Please. You're, I, I know there's things that you're going to that we're going to talk point by point on raw here and you're going to be nitpicking things that were perfectly fine. I guarantee it. OK, so don't give me that. I found I find flaws in the product and the storyline and the booking. OK, that's that's what I do. That's my uh, you know gimmick, if you want to call it that, because there are so many freaking flaws that are easy to point out. But that's OK. Those things can exist if the overall product is good. The problem right now with Raw, I don't disagree with you that it's bad, but there's so much so bad that it completely washes over the things that are redeemable on Monday night. Let's just start off with how Raw started off. Roman Reigns came through for Seth Rollins, saved him while Elias and Jinder are attacking him. Got a great ovation from the crowd. It was in Texas. I forget what city. Corpus but Christi, it was in right? Or that was, that was uh, well, Smackdown. Corpus Christi was SmackDown. I don't know what, what Raw was, but Houston, right? James Harden, the job. Yeah, Houston. That's right. It was Houston. Got a great reaction from the crowd. What did you think of this? Do you think that it was just the crowd and the moment and him saving Seth Rollins? Or did a week off just breathe some life into Roman Reigns here? I think it's a little bit of all of the above. And I was pleasantly surprised to see this. I think the week off certainly helped. And I think it's them, though, kind of gratuitously going back to the well on something that they know will work. Now, the idea of Reigns reuniting with his S.H.I.E.L.D. brethren and helping him out was something they just did a few weeks ago. And it didn't really work that well. They went back to it like they stubbornly always do. And heck, I, you know, 
it feels like a little bit of everything coming together because it did work, and it surprised me unless those were forced cheers into the uh, into the air conditioning ducts there. It felt like it was a real reception, like people were happy to see that. My sort of overall problem, besides it being forced, Adam, is although I liked Rollins in, uh, in the continuation of his feud with Elias there, what's our payoff for Roman? Our payoff was a very predictable tag team match that was booked right after and the continuation of his feud with Jinder, which nobody wants. And... Let me let me let this be the last time I guess I make a larger point. Uh, let me just close off my larger point here. This is another symptom of my larger point. Raw doesn't give me anything to feel. It doesn't give me anything to bite down on. I might get a good match here or a decent segment here, but I don't get that collective feeling that runs through the whole show that right. I get pretty good on SmackDown lately. This week a very I thought I thought a really smooth episode start to finish. No holes. Maybe not over the top amazing, but really damn good, all right? NXT, I get feels every episode, almost every segment. And in the end of the day, Adam, I just want to feel that. Feel that. You can't help but feel, feel that. Oh, that high pitched line. Feel- I want to feel all of that. And yay, funny soundbite, BC. You you, you self-popped. You set yourself up there. I did. But the whole point is I want to feel that. I don't feel anything from Raw anymore. So, no, it's not horrifically bad. But when it's underachievement every single week, why do we put our time in? Why do we care? When, Adam, it's not that this is the only game in town anymore. This is really the best time ever to be a wrestling fan. I could why I mean there's wrestling things I'm not even versed on wrestling promotions I don't even have time for that I know would entertain me this one despite having all the money in the world and all the talent is not entertaining me and yes I enjoyed the Roman pop on the comeback but in the end where's it going what's happening what do we got here we got nothing Adam and you know that couple things the biggest reason why you're not catching feels from Raw and really WWE storyline booking anymore. And I think it's most people, and they don't necessarily realize it. Back in the day when WWE was at its best, they would take a storyline and run it through an entire episode of Raw. And they did that a little bit with J- when Jason Jordan and the Kurt Angle storyline, and they would touch it. He would inter- They'd have a backstage interaction. He'd interfere in a match. After the match, Angle would lambast him backstage and so on and so forth. They don't do that anymore. They did it a little bit on Monday night where they had the Jinder Roman Reigns call and response backstage promo. He sought, uh, Roman sought Jinder out backstage, beat him up. I thought that was very well done, and it added some juice to a rivalry that, yeah, we don't really have a good reason to care about. That is in contrast to the start of the show, which starts the way every single episode of Raw seems to start. There's a promo in the ring, someone gets beat up, someone makes a save, Angle comes out, makes a tag team match, there's a tag team match, and the faces win. It happens every single week. Every Raw starts with a promo. It's getting ridiculous. And the lack of consistency between Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins saving each other and not saving each other, what are they? They're obviously friends. So why not save each other every single time? At least with Bailey and Sasha, and we'll get to it later. There you they, go. May not sa- they may not save each other every single time, but they're at least out there every single time and feigning possibly saving each other. There's some tiny bit of consistency to that storyline. It's, re- it's just so poorly written and booked, but BC, at least they filtered it throughout the show and they came back to it. Whereas most <sighs> things that happen on Raw and SmackDown, it happens in its own five to 10 minute window and it's never touched on again. Whereas Vince Russo back in the day, to his credit, no. realized that he could weave something in and out. Steve Austin McMahon early in the show, it pays off in the main event. Every main event, by the way, also, last thing I'll say here, is a match. Why can't we have a promo main event anymore or something that's not physicality in the ring? 
there's other ways to end the show. There's other ways to write the show. It's formulaic and it's ridiculous, but that doesn't mean there was nothing to to bring home from wow, this. Silver Linings, I thought Reigns playbook a, over here from Silverstein. I thought Reigns had a B episode, and I think that's the best he's done since WrestleMania. I don't know how to feel this because at first I'm like, yes, feel your anger, come to the dark side where you know you live, Silverstein. But no, you're pulling your, you got the ore, you're pulling yourself out and trying to try to pull that silver lining on the cloud. There, I just don't feel it because it always goes back to the end of where are we going with this, and the end is. Reigns and gender is something nobody wants because they haven't given us a reason to care about it. Do you know how that feud started? Gender interrupted Reigns' chance at winning money in the bank. But they never tell you that again. It's like that never happened. Just one quick point on NXT, and it came up while I was watching the pay-per-view rewind match, which we'll get to later in the show. It came up while I was watching regular NXT from last week. They can't stop telling you why you should care about these two fighting each other. They can't right. stop putting making you feel that they can't stop so you feel it i there's just nothing to feel here on raw so yes i like when the storylines interspersed and over the last year there's times when they've really done that well i just don't think this is one of those so uh, i you know i'm it's weird i like seeing the silverstein the, the silver king try to pull himself out of the ditch but this is a week where i'm saying fall back in that ditch Look, fall michael back cole's in. more michael cole is more concerned and vince mcmahon is more concerned about hitting it's the big dog it's boss time as opposed to actually telling you What's going on? And speaking of not really knowing what's going on, let's talk Nia Jax and Ronda Rousey, Ugh. DC, because this we're going to agree on, no doubt about it. Did anything that happened on Monday's show save this rivalry or make you more interested in it or believe more in it leading into Money in the Bank? No, no, it, it's so negative. It's it's the complete opposite. And I don't mean to to just be like, well, I hate, I hate Raw right now, so I'm automatically going to hate this and put the stamp of hatred on it. No, I want this to work. Contrary to what anybody believes, I want Rousey to work. I want this to be a thing. It's not working, and it's your fault, WWE. And the biggest reason this week, not all Rousey, 25% the fact that Rousey can't just can't do this. She can't act on the mic. I know they're not putting her in positions to succeed. That's a big problem. Yes. No, you're doing fine. Keep going. You're doing fine. 75% horrific psychology. Okay, Thank what, you. Did we, what did we have the last two weeks? We had Nia Jax making an unscheduled, weird heel turn after just being the anti-bullying hero. What do we have this week? Her going back to a sympathetic babyface who's upset that she may have hurt Natty? What? What? <laughs> and then we got to deal with some really bad backstage soap opera acting with her and Rousey. And it's really bad because the script is really bad. The psychology is really bad. The foundation that they are standing on is sand, all right? There's, there's nothing sound there. It's going to fall apart, and you put somebody who can't act who should be doing two things, making mean faces and kicking ass. She's doing neither. Did you see when Nia Jax came out and Rhonda was in the commentary chair? I don't know if anybody caught this. Go back and DVR, watch your DVR and see this. Rhonda smiled at Nia, smiled at her, and Nia smiled back. And it was almost like, oh, I forgot I was supposed to be mad. at. I, I can't do it anymore. So, Adam, I don't mean to just completely just want to urinate all over everything. But if they're going to keep going this way with Rhonda, she doesn't have it anymore. And I don't really want to see her anymore. All right? They're going to have to do something to get me a care again. That, rest, that, that high from Mania, it's over. It's hangover time. All right? I'm sorry. Maybe anyone out there, you don't like what I'm saying. You're saying, oh, I can't stand this version of BC. I can't do this anymore. He's so angry. He's so angry. Well, look, I got, you know... I don't know what else to tell you. you Here know, comes you, the John Cena soundbite. If you don't like this show, then... You have a problem? Turn off your oh. station. It's, you know, all right? Okay, find another, find another good news podcast, because this week, I can't take anymore. Go ahead, Silver. I thought you were dropping the John Cena uh, soundbite. I'm uh, not uh, that vile. You startled me there. Um, at, at least you came over to my side from last week, where, yes, 
Rhonda is not an actress. We all agree. But it's not her freaking fault when she's given the lines that she's given on commentary to make fun of her husband that just oh. bomb. They're not funny. She can't deliver them. That's not her fault. That's Why what did she do it twice? Do. Why did she make DC. that weird sexual comment twice? twice? Because it didn't work the first time. They think Michael Cole cut her off to go to commercial, so she had to do it again. BC, they have David Otunga asking her questions. Uh. David Otunga should not be speaking on live television, no. and he sure as hell shouldn't be teeing up Ronda Rousey. You leave that to Corey Graves and Michael Cole, who at least have some energy in their voice and are able to bring something out of her. The one thing that was positive in the entire segment was when Ronda's in the ring kneeling over Natty, and Nia tries to get involved, and she gives her the scowl and says, get away, I've got it. That little bit is what we want from Ronda Rousey. That's the only thing she should do. She shouldn't. She should have been sitting in a chair at the top of the stage watching the match. That should have happened. She could have run. She should have run down. Nia does that. Ra Rousey shoves her out of the ring, and you're like, whoa, look what Ronda Rousey can do. That's how you book that angle. You don't need the stupid stuff backstage. You don't need the lack of psychology, the convoluted storytelling. It's ridiculous. They are ruining what they had, which I, I've said for months, a potential top star in the company. They're ruining her purely based on writing and booking. It's not her fault. Can I ask you a question that it's a tough question to ask? Here we go. I will ask you. I won't even ask you if I can ask you. I'm going to ask you. We this already week, did. So. We had a special Olympic segment on there. And it, by the way, it was, it was pretty awesome. You know what I mean? It was the, great. It was great. I, I love those guys. And they, 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 they worked them into Finn Balor's entrance. It was great. I loved it. But I noticed this week there was a considerable lack of edge in every single segment. Nobody that was mad at somebody talked to the other person like two people who were about to have a fight. I know that's a general complaint people have about WWE these days, and for the most part it's true, but sometimes we get moments where it's intense and it's good and it's trash talk. We had almost none of that this week. Is there any correlation there? And it, by the way, this is nothing specific to Special Olympics because it could be breast cancer the next week. It could be anything. They tend to work in these things that don't fit in a combat-centered you know, entertainment field. Is there any correlation there? With the exception of Alexa Bliss and Kevin Owens, the best promo people on Raw are faces. And what are they going to do? I mean, they can't write. They, they're not writing. Rap, like, Rousey doesn't need to cut a promo, but she can be a badass based on physicality, and she's not. Lashley doesn't need to cut a promo, but he can be a badass based on physicality and facial expressions, and he's not. I mean, that, that's the next part of this event that we were going to talk about, main event here, the lashley Zane segment. And by the way, BC, you're right. This is really quick before we do that. Special Olympics segment was really cool. And Finn Balor coming out after and slapping all those kids. Low tens, I guess, not high fives. They were all like low. Um, that was cool too. Like they can do that as much as they want. Big Show was cool, good for him. But Lashley Zane is a perfect example of this that you're talking about because you have Bobby Lashley coming to the ring to call out Sami Zayn in what you would hope would be a badass manner. He comes wearing a colored, a two-toned, uh, hat with a massive smile on his face at the top of the ramp. <laughs> w, the, the gimmicks for three characters on Raw, Lashley, Balor, and Rousey, are smiling. Okay, and two of them shouldn't be. But with a big smile on his face, the stupid thing where he throws his arms out, and he walks to the ring and with a smile on his face tells Sami Zayn, I'm upset at you. You're being an a-hole. And why is he smiling? Then Zayn comes out and Lashley's smiling the entire time until Sami Zayn finally says something about the armed forces and, and him lying about, you know, serving. And then he gets upset. Okay, that's legit that he got upset. 
Maybe jump out of the ring and try to chase the guy down. Yeah, maybe show There's just... any kind of human emotion that a real yeah. man would show, especially a man who's as badass as you. We don't have to go down the road again of why they're ruining Lashley here, but this week was particularly pathetic. And anyone that wants to do the whole, well, you know what? Sammy tried really hard, man. And he did, but it's past the point where you can even give Sammy credit for trying really hard. It's just bad. It's just awful. It, it, your, your point on Lashley smiling, he was smiling when he came out two weeks ago. When Sammy had those guys dressed up as his sisters, like it's just a big joke. Why See, should that's we care? The, that's the one I was okay with, though, because <sighs> he's trying to laugh at a stupid situation. It was terrible, but that one at least that smile in that situation makes made sense. You smile about it, you get into the ring, you scowl, you beat him up. You know what you I want to hear one time? Somebody say something that may offend somebody. Somebody say something like this. I got a question for you. Is Paul Bear telling the truth when he says? That your mother was a whore. Oh. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's abrasive. It works. I know we're in a PG era. Can we get? Can we offend somebody, please? You know what this week's biggest offense was? Were you really in the army? Like, get out of here. Yeah, that's the problem. That is what we're dealing with. And when last week, not did not save it. Don't get me wrong, but when it was a D plus instead of an F, they went right back to an F this week. It's like they made a little bit of headway with yes. the physicality and I'm kind of breaking his hand. And then this week they had Sammy play scaredy cat, which is okay. But scaredy cat to a guy that's not intimidating. Yet, who's out there smiling and laughing and joking. It just doesn't make sense. It's okay, going to end up. It's going to end up where the main event of this show each week is going to be me playing Hulk Hogan, Yappapai Indian strap match sound bites. We're at the, we're getting, we're close to that point. All right, let's keep going. Cause this is the last time we're going to talk about raw. until something <laughs> changes. Not, all right. It, this is, that is not the case. Uh, I will make sure of it, but we, you know, Maybe we cut it down a little bit. Uh, KO Balor in the main event. They've kind of turned KO into, it's weird. He still can cut good promos, but he's not the scary, intimidating prize fighter that he used to be. And they paid that off in the segment this week by having him be scared to do the senton or the splash. I, for, I forgot which one he was going to go for. In, on like the middle to the top third part of the ladder. Uh, the match ended with a just nonsensical disqualification by not breaking the five count while kicking Ugh. Finn Balor in the corner. What did you think of the main event of Raw, the match, and kind of the angle that they played? Okay, so the match is okay. The, the idea of actually having a wrinkle in the angle of him being too afraid if that's where they're going was fine because, in a sense, it's a callback to Hell in a Cell against Shane McMahon, right, when he had Correct. a chance to jump off the top. So, yes, I love any form of the storyline, but this feeds into my larger problem. It's another wrestling main event with nothing at stake, nothing at all. And at least this time, it's a preview of the, I guess, of the Money in the Bank match, because that's all they're doing every week is giving you another combination of guys that are going to be in the Money in the Bank match. But, like, maybe these this should have been the qualifying matches. Maybe they should have restructured the way they did it, it's because there's nothing to care about here. And you said, why can't Raw end with anything but a match? It's because they figured out that 9 to 10 is their biggest audience window. So that's when they put the contract signings and the Ronda Rousey appearances, and they just mail in a match at the... 1050 mark that they hope has enough stars in it that'll keep you from flipping the channel and again it's the same formulaic crap this specific angle though I, I just wasn't feeling it I was more scared that Finn would by the way was going to just break his ankle or pop a kneecap doing a yeah. uh, coup de gras off the top of a ladder I'm like save that for a pay-per-view bro like that does not look like a move that you could do more than like you know two times three four times in your career without suffering serious injury I just want to like feel something that that week to week is consistent and what they're doing now and I talk about this with Braun Strowman all the time and now it's starting to you know fall into these guys too nobody has a single feud and maybe that's the problem that it's an eight-man match on June 17th 
But we've been setting up this eight-man match for almost two full months. Can we have people actually feud with one person and have a coherent storyline rather than just, well, all eight of these guys are in this match two months from now, so we're just going to keep having them wrestle each other. It's, it's just not acceptable. So, no, well, that's, this, didn't, this, didn't, this didn't accomplish anything to me. I'm sorry. That's part of the problem. They knew they had such a large gap of time before Money in the Bank, but they rushed the qualifying matches. Why would you do that? The last qualifying match should have been this week, and maybe this should have been the match, just as an example. And then next week you do the fatal four-way with the four guys involved or the tag team match with the four guys involved to preview the show. It's not hard booking, but they did two or three qualifying matches over the course of three weeks, got it all out of the way, and then had two weeks where they had nothing to do. And that's their fault. Again, they're not thinking ahead. They think week to week. They don't consider, yeah, you know, it's going to get really boring having Braun Strowman fight all these individual faces. Like Bobby Roode was scared of Braun Strowman. They're face and face. You know, maybe they're, maybe they're, Teasing a heel turn from Bobby Roode, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. But this match, BC, I'm going to disagree with you for a couple of reasons. I think they told a story with Kevin Owens, being scared of, height, of the ladder, scared of heights, whatever. The match itself was good, and there wasn't a storyline during the match. And yes, the DQ finish was stupid. They could have just had him use a chair or a ladder and actually get a real DQ. Ending the match that abruptly made no sense whatsoever. But we got the moment of Finn Balor on top of the ladder, you know, with the briefcase, and the crowd went nuts behind him. He was able to hit the coup de yeah, grace on that mean, Kevin Owens. That, they, let me interrupt you there. So that You're teasing. moment. You're teasing the show. You're promoting the pay-per-view. Yeah, but all it means is he's not going to win the, the match now because he had his moment before. In, in theory, I, in I don't theory. know. I'm, I like the sacredy of you only take the, the, the briefcase off the hook if you're winning it in a match. It's kind of like boxers and MMA guys won't be caught photographed with a title until they win it. They don't even want to touch it. They don't even want to see it, right? Famous right. Floyd Mayweather, Canelo Alvarez weigh in. Floyd tried to hand Canelo the belt. So here, hold the side of the belt. for Canelo, you know, Floyd, Canelo's like, I don't even want to touch it. There's a superstition in there. I know this, it's wrestling. Who cares? It's BS. That didn't work out for Canelo. I'm just, it? Yeah, by the way, it did not. Uh, it's just like every week now, somebody's pulling the damn uh, briefcase off the top. It's like, oh, okay, I- I'm done. I'm done because it's just the same crap. All right, maybe I'm just angry, but I, I got this. I'm just saying, I think, I think you let two hours and 45 minutes of crap, of true crap, influence what was a totally fine main event for the show. I'm the one that's saying I don't want matches ending Raw and SmackDown every single week. But I got Kevin Owens and Finn Balor in a main yeah, event. What does it mean? They gave us a finish what that does it was BS. Mean? What is, again, what does it mean, though? It means nothing. Well, again, it, that's because they can't write or book for crap. We know it. We know it. But that doesn't change that what was presented in that segment and the way the crowd responded. And look, no offense, Texas, your crowds generally aren't that good when w- watching wrestling, okay? Especially Raw and SmackDown. And you saw that Corpus Christi the next night. Um, that crowd went nuts. The crowd loves Finn Balor. You say maybe it's telegraphing that he won't win. Maybe it was a test. Maybe Vince saw the crowd reaction and goes, holy cow, this is the guy I want to win. Vince wasn't watching. You know that. (laughs) Probably not. Look, we're not done with Raw. That's how much we got to talk about here. Because this is Um, the last time we're going to talk about Russell. Let's get all the bullet points (laughs) in. No hero or zero. Raw Team me up. Team me up on this one because I'm going to go off the All right. Bailey, Sasha. I'm not going to give away my thoughts because I want to let you take the, the dance first. But we saw Bailey, after Alexa Bliss pulled herself out of a six-woman tag team match in which she was suddenly a babyface, but no, she healed out. That was fine. But Bailey inserted herself in, got the hot tag from Sasha, got the pin to beat the heels until it was later reversed, and a great Bailey moment of hugging Sasha was suddenly no more. Adam, what the heck's going on here? This is the paradigm, and that means prime example for those of you that don't have 
a large vocabulary vocabulary. And then I then I bungle the word vocabulary when I'm trying to be a heel. Um they have taken this tease of a feud to the most convoluted psychological levels of all time. There's that word. First, again. they ruined Bailey months ago by making her a wimp against Alexa Bliss. This girl who is supposedly Loved wrestling her entire life, knows what it takes to win, you know, had her whole storyline in NXT. They made her look like a wimp against Alexa Bliss. Now they're saying that Bailey, this person who loves wrestling, doesn't know the rules. Doesn't know that you just can't insert yourself into a match without Angle maybe coming to stage so and saying, stupid. Alexa Bliss left you, I'm putting Bailey in this match. Then the referee doesn't know the rules. Ugh. So they're burying the referee for not being able to do his damn job and knowing that, yeah, I can't count to three for this person who just jumped in got a tag and came in like the referee either didn't know she was in the match or didn't know that someone couldn't do that then after we've been conditioned as wwe fans to know the referee's decision is final in the ring the same thing that they did with brock lesnar and they're saying roman reigns is the uncrowned universal champion they changed the referee's decision backstage five minutes later then they have sasha banks who was able to accept bailey back and hug her and their friends again totally turn on her again just because a, the referee or Kurt Angle changed the decision, okay? They hurt Sasha Banks, they hurt Bailey, they hurt the referee, and they hurt Kurt Angle all in one segment. It was horrible. Yes, Shame finally. On come back to the dark side here. There's nothing good to say. Like, you nailed every single part of that. It's just hatchet book. It just makes no sense. There's no connection to the past or the future. No, really, the rules are just going to be like, I, why? I don't even, there's nothing I need to say. You, you nailed it. But it's like, really, Sasha Banks? You're so happy that this friend helped you. The friend still helped you, even if she didn't. Like, it's just, come on. Like, you, oh, man. It's like, they, it's like they're not explaining that if there's a reason why winning the match matters, a random triple th- a six-woman tag match, right? Like, if there's a check on the line and the winners get more purse, okay, then, yeah, she should be upset. She cost her money. But that's not part of WWE. That's not yeah. something that is said. It's a meaningless loss. And for her to be happy and then turn on her immediately – just doesn't make and I know a what shred. people are saying. You guys are thirty-seven minutes in. It's all complaints. It is, but don't worry. We're never talking about Raw again. So this is the last time. <laughs> this is our this is our session on the couch to close Raw. We got to keep the show moving. There was one thing I actually liked, but I'm not sure if I should like it. I'm really in you a should. weird spot, and that's Constable Baron Corbin. I'm gonna just break it down like this, okay? Overall, it worked. Somehow, it worked. Corbin is this annoying, right? Like, arrogant dude, and he played those characteristics out perfect, Adam, to, like, a point that it was a theme that ran through the whole show, and I kind of cared about it. But it's pretty stupid if you think about it. Like, this metalhead idiot heel is going to be appointed by Stephanie McMahon to have power? And he's a freaking constable? Like, and now he's got power to, like, override... Angle's decisions like look long term if it's a Stephanie McMahon Kurt Angle feud and it's a continuation of what already started and it keeps going and Jason Jordan gets back involved and we go good places I'm all for long-term storytelling right but like it's one of those things where it's like it was good but I'm like this is still like really late uh, you want to talk about hedging Mr. Hedge BC here the Brian Campbell this wasn't good it was great. No, no, don't. You can't do that. You can't say it was great. There's. We just told you with the Bailey Sasha thing how stupid it was. That's part of it. You can't just come out and say it was no, great. No, 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 no. We're talking about Baron Corbin being put into this role, not the booking of the Bailey Sasha match and how that all changed. Baron Corbin was great. Every line he delivered was very good. Him 
rubbing his half bald head at the result of that match and looking at Angle and like, like, are you an idiot, Kurt? What are you doing here? Like, he acted it well. He delivered the lines well. Calling him a constable is hysterical. Just there's so many BS terms that are thrown around in WWE. We finally have a constable. His name's Baron Corbin. It really works. Um, and yeah, you would think like him being a badass, you wouldn't want him in this role. But Baron Corbin, since he's been on the main roster, has been a complainer. He was on SmackDown and he has been since he joined Raw. Money in the Bank, he lost the briefcase, obviously. You know, that whole situation happened. So I think it's the perfect role for someone like him. They don't have anything for him right now. Go for it. Like, I'm fine. Eventually, it's going to lead either into a feud with Jason Jordan, potentially, who's there to defend Kurt Angle, or he's able to put himself in an intercontinental title feud with Seth Rollins. And by the way, that would be a pretty cool feud as well. I have no issues with it. I thought it was great. I was thoroughly entertained. All right. I was picking nits, I guess, a little bit there to a degree. It is a little bit ridiculous to me to see, a, a you know, a, 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 almost a monster wrestler being. Well, then again, we saw corporate Kane. So what am I talking about? It's just it's it's friggin pro wrestling. Yeah, he he exceeded my expectations for this. I just got to see more. I got to see where it's going. There is some potential here. We'll leave it at that. One more thing I want to not take back, but pull back a little. I hammered out Enzo Amore last week, and for the most part, I think it was deserved. And yes, he is banned from the soundboard right now. I did get a lot of people, though, who honestly came at me in DMs, listeners to this show, that were like, BC, I love you. I think you went too far. I think you were a little bit too harsh. They're like, I lost a job for something I didn't do. I lost this. You know, I had my reputation ruined for something this. You got to maybe have a little bit more grace for what he might be going through. And I, you know, I thought deep about it. Maybe I did go a little bit too hard, a little bit too far. But I will say this. I still am disappointed at how Enzo responded. Even if he's completely innocent, I was disappointed that that, that middle finger to everybody was his essential, his first time he's coming out of the shadows, and that's the way he responded back to everybody. So I stand by that. If I went too far, maybe judged him a little too much, I'll, t- I'll, I'll, t- I'll put my hand up. I'll say, okay, maybe I went too far there. But, wow, uh, two, two hashtag BC hedge. In less than five minutes. That's not minutes a hedge. On, that's not a hedge. That's, that's, I listened to our audience. I, I thought deep. I looked inside myself. I said, you know, maybe I was a little too harsh on the guy. I, he disappointed me in his actions. But if he's completely innocent and he's got supposedly some proof now that, he's, that he is, you know, people handle things different ways. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean I'm going to play his sound drops anymore. He still kind of turns me off. Uh, but I'll give him I'll that. say this. I thought you hammered him last week. That doesn't mean I didn't think it was deserved. And I don't think that... Much of what you said was unfair because you weren't hammering him for coming out and saying, I'm innocent and, you know, I I deserve apologies or whatever the case might be. You were coming at him for the way he acted, the phraseology that he used, and the method by which he did it. And that deserves criticism. I agree that people can get falsely accused and it's terrible and lives can be ruined. And if you are on that end and you're not – he was not – listen. He was not proven innocent. They didn't file charges. Those are two very different things. But if if you're on that side of things and you know you're innocent and charges are not filed against you and you feel that relief, you're going to want to express it. The thing he did in Times Square probably should have been enough. Instead, he used that to try to launch a rap career with a terrible song and terrible video. What you were hammering was not the message, but the method. The method was awful. It was disgusting. Shame on him. I'm going to stand by it because I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve to feel that relief. That doesn't mean you have to approve of the way he did it. 
Wow, Period. I should hire the Silver Kings general counsel here. That was that was that was well said. That was well summated. But hey, I, I heard the people. I hear what you're saying. It is what it is. We'll move on. Okay, B- BC second part of the main event now. Forty five minutes into the show, the A show SmackDown. It delivered again this week, thanks in large part to a unique AJ Styles Shinsuke Nakamura contract signing that was held backstage at a table with Paige. What did you think of that? I loved it. This was this was fresh. It was different. Having the road agents there made it feel official. It kind of gave me that throwback feeling to Hogan Andre ahead of WrestleMania 3, right? In that boardroom with all the other WWE executives, Jack Tunney, Vince McMahon there, you know, for the contract signing. We saw it again with Hogan and Warrior and Toronto ahead of WrestleMania 6. It, it was great. And, and it was... You didn't need a big brawl at the end. I thought the smack and the mind games that Shinsuke played overall with the pet look perfect. I thought Paige was even a little bit different in how she responded. She was like uh, offended that they would do that. Like, really, AJ, come on. And did I pop for Dean Malenko in the, in the in the clip? You better believe it. I love that they're using him. I wish they would use him more. He is, of course, a, a backstage agent and, and creative mind for them. This is a home run, and it's getting me excited about how the payoff could be. Look, it hasn't been a perfect ride for this feud, but there's we still have to give them the the uh you know, the room to really impress us down the stretch to close the story. This could end up being a really well-told story from start to finish. It could make the beginning make a lot more sense if it finishes really strong. I agree with that. I think that's a totally fair take. I like that it was unique production-wise. It was strange how zoomed in it was and how close it was. I would have liked to have seen the scene and the agents sitting around and like just that whole setup. Instead, it was just like half a table, page like front and center, and the guys just kind of in the corners. It was a little weird to me. I like that it was different. It's one of a couple different things they did on SmackDown this week that I definitely appreciated. And they treated it like the main event that it is and should be at Money in the Bank. But while they did that in that segment, they haven't treated the feud, the WWE title, etc., as as big as it should be with those two. It's the only heavyweight title being defended in WWE right now. We know this. I'm not going to go off on another tangent. I did that earlier. But with that said, they should be building this as the fifth meeting between these guys, fourth with the title on the line at a, at a major event. They should be building this as the main event of Money in the Bank. The feud is settled. They should have teased it five or six times during the show. Instead, I think they mentioned it once, and then they had it. So they need... They did a great job presenting it as big in the moment, but they haven't in the greater context of SmackDown and WWE as a whole, and they really need to hammer that home next week. I I mean, that's fair. I I don't fully agree, but I I just, you know, pick nits on Raw. If if you'd like to see it even more of a royal, you know, handling and presentation, I've got nothing against that. I, I just, man, I love this blue show. Now, you have to tell me this. Do I love, did I love SmackDown so much this week because of how bad Raw was or because of how annoyed I was at Raw? Yes. Is this just a really damn good show start to finish? Like I said, not amazing, but I didn't feel holes. I feel like every segment, every match, I was into it. I was dialed in. I think, I think everybody's performing in the role they're being given. The show made a lot of sense um, start to finish, and that's the most that you can ask for any week is do they give us two or three, when Raw is good, hours of entertaining television where there's not a moment where I say, I don't need to see this. And on Raw, there was... 10, 12 moments of, I don't need to see this. I've seen it already. I know how it's going to end. On SmackDown, as we'll talk about later, you didn't, if you thought you knew how everything was going to end, you didn't. Because I got surprised twice during the show, legitimate surprise. And that segment in particular, when they said contract signing, I was like, oh, they're going to be in the middle of a ring with the table. Okay, 
They'll fight each other, you know, tip the table over, blah, blah, blah. None of that happened. So I thought that was extremely interesting. Another thing that WWE did that I thought was a pleasant surprise on the show, they had Renee in the Mean Gene Okerlund position, the old school position, on the top of the stage with the crowd in the back, interviewing Big Cass. Now, say what you will about the promo, and we're going to get to that in a second. But what did you think of, and I know production to some people is small. To me, it's big. That was different. It was unique. It gave it a different feel. What did you think of that? Yeah, I like it. And I think they should do more of that. I thought it was good. I, you know, I certainly like the the play on height between Renee and, and Cass, which is what they tried to, you know, tor- story they tried to tell. And even Cass made a comment about it. But overall, yes, I like when SmackDown is different. It was different to start 2016. They had that little baseball card thing on the side of the screen that's still there. I don't know if people remember, but when SmackDown first changed and went to Tuesday Nights Live, they had that jib camera floating around at, at eye level that made you feel like you were on the ring apron rather than watching right. From the crowd, I would o- I can only applaud and encourage them to do more things to make SmackDown look different. I like that direction. But did we like Big Cass's promo? Now, I'd been a protector of what he's been doing lately and say it's not great, but he's getting over as a heel. This weekend, that was all right. I didn't love it. I oh, can't sit here and, and say it was a failure, though. I thought it, it, it kind of just was just enough. It's so repetitive and monotonous. Just like I said earlier, they have WWE has three characters that just smile. Big Cass's gimmick is kind of the same as Lashley's. He puts his arms in the air. Look how big I am. I'm tall, you're small. That's been his entire gimmick and his entire promo for Daniel Bryan now every single week. Meanwhile, they got him after a house show when he lost to Daniel Bryan, which they don't explain, on WWE social media. And he cut an awesome like 15-second promo on Bryan that is better than anything he's done on WWE TV. And speaking of that, Daniel Bryan, just after SmackDown, cut a promo on WWE uh, social media.com, whatever you want to call it. That was better than maybe any promo he's had uh, since his return to in-ring action and better than anything we've seen on WWE TV in months. It's kind of funny. I'll never survive here as if I haven't already succeeded here. See, Big Cass thinks he's just a big deal because he's big. And he keeps saying, seven feet tall, and you can't teach that. You know what you can teach? Every single thing that I know. You can teach people the yes lock. You can teach people a heel hook. You can teach people how to kick them in the head so it's shin bone to the dome when your mama ain't home. Okay? But Big Cass, he hasn't learned any of that. Why? Because he's entitled and he's lazy. You think Big Cass had a message for me? Well, guess what? I've got a message for Big Cass. Big Cass, guess what? You said you're going to break my leg in half? You don't even know how. You haven't trained hard enough. You haven't been in the gym hard enough. You don't know how to wrestle hard enough to break my leg in half. Do you know what's going to happen at Money in the Bank? I am going to make you tap out one more time. Whether it's the yes yes lock, whether it's the heel hook, whether I just knee you in the face and stomp you in the face until you give up, that's what's going to happen at Money in the Bank. And you can't teach surviving that. Oh, yeah. Do you know what? Oh, you know what? Like, hit the hit the the sound. Get it. Feel that. I felt all of that. I want the siren. That's what I thought you were. Give me the siren. Oh, wow. Like, just like, ah, oh, yeah. This is, that's cutting a promo. That's what Samoa Joe can do, right? That's what he does on TV. That's what it is. That's what WWE's missing. Not every promo needs to be like that. 
but it doesn't take a lot of creativity for someone to go out and just say, I'm going to beat your ass. Do you know why we can't that's have what that, that promo though? was. Do you know why we can't have that? Because you know what that promo was not? That scripted. promo was not scripted. And, oh, man. Joey Styles, tell me how much you just can't stand scripted stuff. I am sick of boogers and bathroom humor and semen. Well, wow. That was not the direction I thought you were going to go. Well, I am sick of those three things, too. But I am also sick of scripting, and we don't have to go down that road again. But that's the difference right there. So, you know, you make this point a lot. There's these promos online that are better than in the show. Hello, because they're not scripted. That's why Talking Smack, which, by the way, was a little bit more scripted than people realize. Each person was wearing an airpiece. They had a screen in front of them that had some prompts. But still, it was largely loose and free. So uh, we've been down this road a million times. If if Big Cass can do stop doing one thing though, the Black Power Fist, like, come on, can we stop? Yeah, can we what stop the hell? doing that? And especially when you're. Wa- Especially when you're walking down the ramp and it covers the sea and it says big ass every uh, yeah, single time like, you do it. It's just like, come on. There is no racism here in the World Wrestling Federation. We don't allow it, we'll allow it under any circumstances. And that's the bottom line. I know that, Vince, but just stop with that. All right, to wrap up the main event here, New Day, they had a pretty good week. They had a pretty damn good week, whether it was embarrassing Miz in a, in a, in a pancake locker room uh little segment there that I popped for him, him putting his hand on the batter yeah. to the main event victory in that six man tag match going in a good direction, but where are they going? That's the question. Look, there's no reason to break up the new day. I know a lot of people want X person to be a singles wrestler. Us both BC and I want to see Big E either win money in the bank or get a main event push or, or something as a singles, but this group can stay together. You don't have to break up a group to allow someone to go out on their own and pursue singles glory. Xavier Woods can challenge for the U.S. title. I don't care. He can stay in New Day and have his friends and brothers there. You know, the the elite all, Kenny Omega competes for singles titles, and the Young Bucks are there competing for tag team titles still. So there's ways you can do it. But this just goes to show, first of all, Big E is awesome, okay? Any guy who does a dive through the ropes, okay, a suicide dive, at his weight into a barrier and another human being and just shakes it off and gets up, you got to love him, okay? The entire team is great. Being able to see them against the Miz, Samoa Joe, and uh, Rusev, all right, a random, you know, compilation of three people. It was different. We didn't have to see the bar in another match, you know, with the Miz and against another team. It was fresh. It was different. It was good. And every single time New Day's in a match, if it's a, if it's a one-on-one, a tag team, or, or a six-man tag, they deliver every single time. Push these guys. Yeah, so the best way to push them outside of another tag team title run, which they've had, you know, they've had enough at this point. Enough. You're right, is put separate titles on them, push one of them really far. Hey, you could tease a breakup without actually doing it, too. You can just do a little bit more with them. It's so easy for WWE to just roll out the ice cream pancake uh, cereal gimmick with them and let them be slapstick, and they're great at it. But when you say just push them, to me that means just push them into something that truly matters at a near main event level. I can't take, I can't take another 12 months of, you know, it was cereal. Now it's pancakes, waffles and eggs and bacon. I I can't take another year of them being pure slapstick, even though they're very good at it, but there's, they have so much more potential. All three of them can cut promos. All three of them can wrestle. Biggie is capable of being a world champion. Kofi, we have always thought, at least I always thought, was capable of that. You can make the argument he's a little, I say too old, I don't really mean that, but 
he's kind of past his prime in terms yeah, yeah, of he's when you would give him that push. Woods could contend for the uh, the U.S. title against, and so could Kofi against the heel. These guys have the potential and ability. We've seen Big E cut promos, badass promos, funny promos, and everything in between. He can do everything in the ring. Well, here's There's the so much potential. Here's the deal, though. And it, sometimes it comes down to the African-American thing, and it does. They don't know how it to does. book them in anything that's not comedic or jobberish. So one last point on why NXT rules and <sighs> gives you the feels. Did you see that five-minute feature on Bianca, Bianca Belair on NXT last week? Yeah, That was absolutely. all about her real life. All about her athletic and and academic uh, achievements and her family history. I was so I watched that with my sons this morning actually while they were getting ready for school and they stopped what they were doing and they stayed staring at the screen for five minutes and didn't blink once and didn't interrupt with twenty five questions like they normally do. It was something that got you to care about this performer. They pushed her as a serious threat. Can we get serious with the New Day once? That's all I'm going to say. There's no need to go further on that. That's all I'm going to say. She's a, they made her. you feel like she's a potential star. Let's have that feeling on the PG main roster with some other African-American performers, all right? Or, or, or honestly, BC, with anyone. They with don't anyone. do vignettes anymore. They did the Sanity like mini vignettes. They did Bludgeon Brothers vignettes that were terrible, and that group still sucks. Um, but they... Don't introduce anyone. They don't give you a reason to like anyone. Bobby Roode, if you didn't know him from NXT, all you know is he's glorious. Yeah. And, he, and he parades around in a, down in a thing. Roads. They got to get off of that. We got to get something. off of this segment. All right. We're running low on we time. Do. This will be a lightning round of a non-raw hero or zero. BC, always so worried about time. Time, my friend, is just a construct. Okay, here we go. 52-year-old Shawn Michaels recently said in an interview that he is potentially open to one more match with the caveat of of it happening under the right circumstances, whatever the hell that means. Hero or zero to wanting to see Shawn Michaels compete one more time in a ring. All right, I love that this question has nothing to do with Raw, and I'm going to be quick on it. It should be a monster hero, but there's he went a little bit deeper if you heard that whole interview. And he's saying, probably not in a singles match. He's saying, maybe it would have to be more in a tag team match, like call up my old buddy Triple H and do the crotch chop DF thing all over again. DX, I'm sorry. So, you know what? I don't really want anything to do with that. Here's what I would like out of Shawn... Look, look, if if the question is, another Shawn Michaels match or not another Shawn Michaels match, I'm going to pick another Shawn Michaels match. But it's a real hero if it's an actual singles match against an actual competitor where it would make sense and AJ Styles a Johnny Gargano which is something Michaels mentioned and then Gargano instantly tweeted it out like with the eyeballs emoji like oh wow you know they've been real close behind the scenes at NXT if it's something epic like that that would be a massive hero if it's a Triple H tag team match where they just do the DX crotch chops I think that's a waste only because Michaels has purposely not gratuitously came back outside of that run-in for NWO there in the Triple H Sting match at WrestleMania 31. So because he's preserved that and because we assume at 52 he can still go probably better than any other not Ric Flair named 52-year-old, then I'd say let's keep it a hero and let's keep it a singles match. If not, I'd be happy if it didn't happen. I, I completely agree. I think having him return, he I think his concern is, look, I can't do a, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? can't do a hurricanrana anymore. I can't do, you know, any high flying moves. Um, I'm limited. I don't know if I can do a kip up, you know, from the canvas anymore. He's concerned about tarnishing the Shawn Michaels in ring legacy. 
by having a match. Well, you know what? Daniel Bryan chain wrestles. You can Johnny Gargano, AJ Styles can wrestle any style. I'd rather see a one-on-one match with one of those guys with a decent built storyline. Hell, Dolph Ziggler, okay? Someone or Chad Gable, someone who knows how to wrestle and there's a reason. Maybe someone says, I can beat even the greatest in-ring technicians of all time. His music hits, he comes out and there's a major match for Royal Rumble or something like that. He's more than capable athletically of still doing something like that without going through the motions of, you know, somersaults and, and like I said, Hercaranas and, and all these moves. Moonsault is the word I've been trying to say this entire time. Um, so I would love to see him in such a match, but a total zero if it's a gimmick with Triple H or just for him to stand and do a super kick and have it be an official match. I appreciate that he's gone out of his way to not return, even when given the opportunity. And apparently he was asked to wrestle AJ Styles but there was no storyline or something, and he was concerned about well, why it would happen, would so he said no. 2017 Royal Rumble in San Antonio, when AJ put out that, on social media, that right. poster of the two of them together, and he turned it down. But it sounds like at least that he's starting to come back, and I think it's because of the time he's done in NXT, working with Gargano, working with those guys, and he's, he's in feeling great it. shape, by the way. All right, Hero Zero, number two, Adam. Lars Sullivan defeated both uh, Velveteen Dream and Ricochet two weeks ago on NXT to secure an NXT title shot and then last week came out and took out Aleister Black after delivering a lengthy promo. So I'm curious what you're going to say here. Hero or Zero to the idea of Lars as a legitimate heavyweight title contender entering TakeOver Chicago? So this is a tough question. He is a legitimate heavyweight title contender because big men like him that are dominant and powerful always are. So even when Kane or Big Show I'm talking about not now, but five years ago, let's say, even when they were past their prime. They can put themselves in a position by beating the right people to be a legitimate contender and be someone that a champion who has maybe fought and beat smaller people. Oh, my God. Now they have this big challenge. That's what they're trying to do with Nia Jackson, Ronda Rousey. They're failing for different reasons. Um, So I'm okay with him as a challenger. But that said, this might be the my least anticipated NXT heavyweight title match in years. I don't think it's a good feud at all. I'm not interested in it. I don't think Aleister Black ever needed the title. I understand why they gave it to him. They wanted to bring Almas up. That's fine. And Black in that match was great. It was a great match. It was a great finish. But I don't think he needs the title to get over. He's not someone that needs to carry a strap. He's not particularly great on promos, even though he's good in interviews. And Lars Sullivan can't really talk either. So it's it's going to be the second main event. Obviously, Gorgano Ciampa probably will be at TakeOver Chicago. But it's like the least anticipated match on the card for me. Because of that potential main event of Gargano Ciampa, again, I think it's okay. And I think this is a surprising hero for me. I didn't like Lars Sullivan when he debuted. I don't really like the character. He doesn't really do a lot for me. By the way, Killian Dane doesn't do a lot for me either. And I've been honest about that. I think he overachieves for his size. I don't really care about him, though. I didn't really care about Lars Sullivan, though. Until two weeks ago when they inserted him into this Dream Ricochet feud. And I'm like, oh, really? And then they put him over in a handicap match. But you know what, Adam? NXT is so good that they got me to buy it. And even though Lars Sullivan's promo this past week compared to other superstars wasn't great, it's the best he could do right now. And it was okay. And then when he took out, when he caught Aleister Black's Black Mass attempt with his hand and just stared at it. I got I got the feel bumps like I, it hit me right in the feel spot. So because of the total package overall, I care about this and I and I don't even like Lars Sullivan. So it is a hero, but I think it's really helped by the fact that they have other main events that can trump it. It's interesting that we said though it might be the least anticipated. You are it's weird. 
NXT Championship feuds involving, let's say, Nakamura and Rude. I was so excited for the build and then knew the match would let me down. I just knew they wouldn't have the right chemistry, and it did. Same thing for Drew McIntyre against Bobby Roode. This is one where I'm not that excited to the build, but I have a feeling that this match could be pretty damn interesting because Lars can really work, like surprisingly well. And I like how they book him, so I'm going to give it a chance. I'm going to give it a hero. It just There's been so many high-quality NXT Heavyweight Championship matches that you compare it to this, like Gargano Almas, this isn't going to be it. I mean, if this is a four-star match, I think it overachieves. Uh, BC, number three here, Hero Zero. Former Ring of Honor stars War Machine, uh, now the War Raiders, and Donovan Dijak, now Chris Dijak, have now officially both debuted for NXT, obviously, the War Raiders did weeks ago, um, with Dijak showing up last week getting his first singles match. Hero to zero, Hero to zero I'm, I'm quoting you now, Hero or Zero, on how bright their futures are in NXT and WWE. I got a split answer here. And look, I didn't watch a lot of War Machine before this. So, I, you know, a couple matches here and there. Didn't know a ton about them, dissimilar to other people that come in from Ring of Honor. I'm like, well, I know that guy. I know his biggest matches. So far, I don't like the change of the name to War Raiders, and I don't really like what I've seen in these couple Squatch matches because they look too much right now, the way they're presented, as take the gimmick off seven other tag teams and put it together. Like, I see some ascension in them. I see some powers of pain. I see some uh, sanity, you know? Like, Authors I see, of like, pain, yeah, go ahead. Like, one of the guys, you know, Hanson looks a little bit too much like Killian Dane, you know what I mean? Like, uh, the the face paint's giving me the powers of pain vibes, like I said right there. I Authors just, of pain, no, over pow- two. Bro, Come powers on. of pain, warlord and barbarian. Oh, I thought you were talking about Authors of Pain. No, like no, no. They current... don't give me Authors okay. of Pain vibes. So over two for me then. Sorry, yeah, yeah, ahead. yeah. No worries. Uh, so I just, it's just, I don't feel them yet. I feel like they're too much like everybody else. And I feel like we've just had a run of those teams like Authors of Pain who come in and just destroy people <laughs> and don't say anything. Jack on the other side. His debut against Ricochet could not have been more impressive. And how perfect was that booking? It was like a five-minute match. And you came out of there going, holy crap, Ricochet's the star of the future. Yet they gave enough shine to Chris Dijak to let you go, let you know that for 6-7, this guy can move. He can come off the top rope. This guy could do some stuff. He can talk. I'm fired up about where he's going. Yeah, Dijak is like a polished, better-looking Harper, where they refuse to repackage Harper. He can do all that. You know it. You've seen it, right? Uh, I don't know about a, a moonsault, but he can do a lot of other things. He just seems like what we've wanted Harper to be, Dijak is. And I think his future, his potential is unlimited in WWE. I wrote down the exact same note about War Raiders, and I don't hate their name because they could not have called them War Machine, <laughs> probably for copyright reasons and because of the MMA person. So no chance that was going to happen. I don't mind the name. It's fine. Whatever. Um, my note was WWE already has them yeah. in they, they're just, they're, I don't know what they're going to do outside of NXT. Maybe they're in NXT for a while, and they're tag team champions. Maybe they're the team that beats they Undisputed need. Era, but I don't know. Uh, so so Hero or Zero, uh, I'll give Hero overall, but Zero to War Machine. All right, All right. number four, Hero or Zero, Becky Lynch defeated Charlotte Flair clean on Tuesday's SmackDown episode. So we also saw another women's angle this week with Asuka gaining revenge on Absolution with Carmella watching from ringside, hero or zero to where the overall women's storyline on the blue brand is going. I'm going with the hero. The Becky win was surprising. It's happened before where I think Becky beat Charlotte clean and they never did anything with it going forward. You know, they just, Becky got a tiny little one night push and it never happened again. I hope that's not the case here, but even if it's, even if it is the case, seeing her go over clean and tapping out Charlotte, it allowed fans to remember, oh, she's here. She's at least legitimate, right? So that was cool. 
The Oscar stuff was fine uh, with Absolution. I just I thought it was clunky again writing wise. They telegraphed the match. She's like, hey, if you know if you were still the undefeated Oscar, you would take a two on one handicap match. And Paige comes out. Hey, Oscar, do you want a two-on-one handicap match? Yes, I want them both. Like, yeah, but the way she delivered that, though, it was so cheesy that it was cool. It was cheesy. It, it was yeah, cool. I mean, look, it was fine. It's way better than the women's booking on Raw. So I will give it, yes, a hero. I, I'll give it a hero as well, and I'll specifically say, I thought Charlotte uh, Becky was going to be a match that I was going to fast-forward through because I watched it on a little bit of a delay. That was an awesome match. And for a regular TV match with nothing at stake, they got me to buy in the storyline. That spot where they caught each other's leg and they did the, the tea drinking thing, they played the best friends, maybe they're turning on each other bit, so much better than they're doing it with Sasha and Bailey. that I was like, where is this going? Because this was a damn good match. That could have main evented. That, didn't, that wasn't the main event, right? I'm trying to get where no. I'm That could have been the main event, and I thought it would have been perfectly fine. Absolutely. I think they're... Totally talented, and Becky, they just won't push, and we don't know why. Uh, BC, CM Punk was victorious along with Colt Cabana this week in the lawsuit issued uh, by a WWE doctor for defamation after Punk kind of ran him into the ground on, a, on Cabana's podcast. Hero or zero to whether he will also be victorious in the Octagon on Saturday against, I don't even know who he's fighting. Mike Jackson, UFC 225 in Punk's hometown of Chicago on Saturday. I've been going back and forth on this. In the end, I think he's going to win because UFC has done him a favor in his final fight of that two-fight deal that he signed all the way back in 2014, by the way, by giving him Mike Jackson. Who is that guy? Well, he's done some kickboxing in the past, but he's a videographer and MMA journalist in his full-time job. He has one pro fight who he lost to the guy who beat CM Punk, only he lost even quicker and after losing that fight, he went to press row right after, like literally from the locker room to press row. So I'm not here to rip Mike Jackson. I'm just saying UFC has given Punk a chance to win. They're going all in shamelessly and putting it on the main pay-per-view card. They're going to milk this for what it's worth. I think this is the end of CM Punk's fighting career. I think in his hometown, he gets a sloppy, gross decision. And Adam, did you hear or see that interview he gave with Nick Hausman of WrestleZone as he was exiting the courtroom yesterday. I've got a little bite at the end here. Uh, last question here. Now, I know you love the pro wrestling press. You're like your favorite people in the whole world, CM Punk. I gotta ask, now that this is all behind you, are you all in? I'm not. All right, well, that's all I have to say. I don't know if you heard that, but he said he's not. He is. He's gonna be all in, and you know <laughs> it, brother. He's swerving us. He's setting us up. I'm fired up about what the end of the MMA CM Punk career is because, by the way, in that same interview with Nick Houseman, he did rip WWE and was like, I'm just so happy to put this behind me. He's not going back to Vince anytime uh, soon. He did not rip WWE. He just said, I'm happy to put... He he was posed the question, are you happy to put this WWE chapter behind you? And he said, yes. That's not ripping WWE. Uh, you saw, he you said, read it in his He face. has said way worse things about WWE and actually ripped them in the past. Um, is he going to win the fight? Hero? I, I don't know. I don't really care, particularly because... CM Punk to me is a wrestler, and that's all I really care about him doing. Um, if he, do, let me put it this way: if he doesn't win and he goes zero and two in his UFC career, that is embarrassing, especially against this opponent. I, I mean, I, I don't again, I don't know anything about UFC really outside of just the, the big stars, um, but that would truly be pathetic. Well, he in terms be of CM, fighting, dude, this is such a gratuitous celebrity scratch off something off my list. Like this is the Bellator fight that UFC. I'd rather see. I'd rather see you fight this Mike Jackson guy. Oh, Much rather than CM Punk. Um, just really quick, though, I do think he'll be all in because it, it was just too, like, campy of an answer. He should have said, no, unfortunately, I'm not going to make it. You know, whatever the case is, him just saying no, he's going to be there, right? He should have given this answer to the question. I'm all in. 
Are you all in, Brian? Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Of course I'm all oh, in. Oh, come on, Randy. That. I'm all in. Um, but outside of that, honestly, I I said this to you in, in Slack. We were talking briefly. I don't think I care about CM Punk anymore. Oh, stop even, it. Even if he goes to all in, unless he returns to wrestling like with New Japan and actually has storylines and is in matches. Don't be that I guy. Like him. You care. I like him. No, no, no. Let me finish. I like him. Okay? He's great in the ring. He's maybe the best promo person in wrestling today if he was in wrestling today. But if you're a WWE fan, honestly, he turned his back on you. Turned his back on the company. Oh, left. No. Oh. And oh. it was in the middle of it was in the middle of him being in the main event. And you know what? It's been five, four years, five years. Did whatever. Adam Silverstein just say he turned his back on you? What is going on what here? What I'm saying is he took a, he took something that he was extremely, incredibly successful in getting the push that his fans got for him, and he's like, you know what? I'm out. I'm not doing this again. Hasn't wrestled in four years. Is trying this UFC stuff where he can't even get into the octagon, and now just fans are still chanting his name across the country and in Chicago. I'm not saying he shouldn't be popular. I'm not saying that we shouldn't like it if he does wrestle. I'm just saying I'm kind of over it being a big deal anymore. I don't think that's unfair. I'm just curious. When the hell did you turn so corporate? It really turned his back on the fans. Come on. The guy was burnt out. They were kind of screwing him. All right, whatever. But you made a comment there. I'm not over him. I, I was never even by the way, I was never even a big punk guy. Of course I know how awesome he was. I popped for the big moments. He's never been my guy. Do I want to see him back? A million percent. And you mentioned that he said a lot of other really bad things about WWE in the past, way worse than than what he said when he just responded in that that interview. But I got a feel from it that he was meaning the same things he used to say like this. Maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead but the fact is it's it's gonna get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family i mean he didn't say that but he gave that face that said he's not coming back anytime soon you're worried about you're worried about taping time and then you're playing old clips that we've played the last two weeks you know as well so oh yeah fired the hell up because we're not talking about raw but we are talking about the best segment we have in this show and it's called it's back and it's called it's called pay-per-view rewind, but it's not actually next in our show, is it? Is it? A, yeah, see, take I, it behind I, the fourth wall. This is two wall. weeks in a row. BC. This is two weeks in a row that you that pay-per-view rewind has gotten into your head and just messed things up. Oh, wow. well, right. uh, how about right. you let me do it? Okay? Pause. Let's BC. pause pay-per-view rewind for now. Let's let's keep the show moving. Let's. <laughs> okay, BC. Let's move on. We are going to preview New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion 6.9 Saturday night in Japan, Saturday morning in these United States of America. It's a nine match card. We're going to go ahead and skip over the first four. Not that they're not potentially entertaining. There is a title on the line among those, but there are really five main matches here on this card that should go exceedingly long. Uh, We'll start with the IWGP tag team championship, the heavyweight tag team championship, Sonata and evil against the young bucks. What do you think is going to happen here? And where, how high do you put this match on a pedestal? Uh, I put it decently high. I'm excited about this. I'll say one thing about the card. It snuck up on me. I'm going to be really honest. Like, of course, I'm fired up about it, Adam, but this is already an absolutely loaded weekend of MMA and boxing, and this card kind of snuck right up, and I think the problem is, which we talked about in the past, they don't have a go-home show. There's no New Japan Weekly show, which the, a week like this, by the way, and I know there's a couple clips out there. There's interviews. Kenny, Kenny had a good one. But a week like this really exposes when you don't have that go-home show to get you fired up for it. But this is interesting. Young Bucks moving up to the heavyweight tag team level after dominating the junior division to, you know, record level defenses. I think you, you put the I think you put the belt on. Look, 
there's one thing you can say about what the Young Bucks and the Elite bring to wrestling right now. Without the Elite, wrestling is boring and it sucks. I'm not going to disagree, right? Roth, boring and it sucks. No, just kidding. All right, what, I, what I'm really trying to say is here, put the, put the belts on them. I think this could be a standout match in their debut really here on the heavyweight ranks. The Bucks bring it. I love Sonata and Evil, but I'd like to see him. Like to see this change hands. See, I'm kind of curious in how expiring contracts play into a role with New Japan title changes. Now, I don't know when their contract expires. I believe it's longer than Kenny's, uh, I think, which is January. Uh, I, you know, who knows what, what's going to happen there. But I'm just kind of curious, really, what process New Japan Pro Wrestling goes through when deciding to put a title, not just on someone whose contract might be ending, but someone from another country, right? That they n don't have a feeling is going to be in their organization may maybe forever, right? Like Tanahashi, as an example, or Okada. Tanahashi and Okada probably aren't going to WWE anytime soon or ever. And I doubt they even thought Shinsuke Nakamura was going to, although he did very much at the end of his career. I don't think there's going to be a title change here. In fact, I don't think there's going to be a lot of title changes on this show as a whole. I think they're going to save them for other times in the year. And I don't think the Young Bucks actually need the title because they were pushed into this heavyweight picture very much by Cody manipulating them to, to not be juniors anymore, to be heavyweights and then go out on their own. And the, the storyline a little bit is they had to force their way into this position. I will say so this, from, though. I'm sorry. Go, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that was it. I, I will say gonna, this, though. Uh, if you look at the history of this belt, it changes hands a lot. It changed hands seven times in the past essentially 13 months. I just looked oh, that up. Wow. So it has gone a lot. I mean, we haven't seen anybody hold it for any length of time until really 2014 when Gallows and Anderson held it for exactly a full year. That's the last time anyone's really gone too long on it. It bounces around a lot. And I think New Japan, they're not smart on a lot of things when it comes to how to market to the States. But I think they have to understand that the being the elite show and the Young Bucks are an incredible advertisement for what they do to America why not put the belts on them, even if you're just going to take it off of them two pay-per-views from now? So I, I'm going for the title change. I I'll, think I'll stick with my prediction, but I like that reasoning. I think that's really smart, and, and maybe I am uh, going to be wrong on that one. Six-man tag team match. We see Rey Mysterio in New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. They're going up against the Bullet Club, Cody, Hangman Page, and Marty Skrull. You know, there's nothing really on the line here, but I think it's going to be an interesting match, obviously, with two legends in Mysterio and, and – sorry, three legends – <laughs> Mysterio Liger and Tanahashi. I don't necessarily see how they lose. No, I don't either. This will be a fun match. Not a lot of storyline, nothing really at stake. I wonder, though, what's going to be Cody's role in this pay-per-view overall, right? Will he have a, a hand in that Young Bucks match, you know, for the titles? Will he have a hand in what Kenny's doing later? Will he, will, how will they infiltrate? Because, look, when you watch Being the Elite, there's real storylines, and then there's some BS funny storylines, right? Like who killed Joey Ryan and Jay Lethal turned into Randy Savage and all this stuff. I want to see the real storylines, what Cody's role is going to be. Is it just going to be take bumps for Rey Mysterio, or are we going to see much more overarching on the overall storyline? That'll be That's more interesting to me than even this match. I feel like Cody and Mysterio had a WWE feud. Am I wrong about that? No, you are correct about that. WrestleMania 22 in Chicago, I believe, was Cody's first WrestleMania match, and it only happened because Mysterio went to Vince on Cody's behalf and argued for him, and Cody just heard him tell this story on somebody's podcast recently. Really gives Ray a ton of credit for getting himself to a higher level in WWE. That's cool. So that's a really cool little, you know, back-end storyline for this match. Uh, moving on, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, Will Ospreay defending his title against Hiromu Takahashi, who won Best of Super Juniors in a match. 
that I still haven't seen and I should have seen before this show. But Dave Meltzer says will be hard to top this year. And if he's going to say that about an NJPW match, I'm going to be interested in going to watch it. Uh, do you think Osprey retains? Here? Wow! Anytime you hear best bouts, you gotta watch them. I, I will say I failed on the Super Juniors tournament. There, even though I read there's about three or four must-see matches that came out of this, I haven't watched them. Do I? I think Osprey will uh, retain here, and I think the match is going to be fantastic. Osprey is operating really on the same level of what Seth Rollins is doing on Raw, where he's trying to steal the damn show every single time. Osprey's trying to have the best match and maybe break his own neck every single time out. He just had a, a couple brilliant ones that I read in that tournament. I want to see if they can, if they essentially can try to steal the show from Okada Omega. I know that's insane, but Osprey's insane. So enjoy him while you can. That's essentially the, the <laughs> disclaimer there. Yes, this is going to be a great match. I love Taka. We're going to see Daryl. I'm fired up for that. That's an that's a, a unfortunate way to phrase it, but that is accurate. Uh, this triple main event, by the way, this is the third to last match, and this might be the best match on the card. And that's just crazy when you consider what we still have to talk about here. I think Osprey retains also. They're giving him a legitimate, deserved push. And him dropping the title, even though Takashi's deserving and totally capable of having it, I think you want Osprey with the belt for an extended period of time, maybe leading into Wrestle Kingdom. And then whoever your next person that you want to push is, you're going to do that. And before I get to this double main event really quick, no Kota Ibushi on the show, no U.S. Heavyweight Championship defended. Yeah, I want to point those out. That's interesting. And I'm, I'm, I don't know. That, uh, to be honest with you, I haven't done enough research. I don't know that why Coda's not. Is he going to play a role in the Kenny match? Uh, I, I don't know. He really hasn't been featured in anything I've seen leading into this. Well, Kenny has talked about, you know, the, the Bucks have been by his side in the ringside area for all of his matches against Okada. And they asked him, I think on being the elite, if he wants them, you know, by his side again. And he said, why don't we just talk after this match is over? I happen to think Abushi might be ringside for that match, which would make a little sense. Not that he can't wrestle earlier in the show. It also might have been the fact that Abushi might have been in that Rey Mysterio spot in that six-man tag, and then Mysterio was available. They said, hey, Coda, take, take a night off. But I think that's strange. I think not defending the U.S. title, even though it's a loaded card, I think it's strange when you're trying to build that audience again. They just don't get it. Like, fully no, understand you're going to make the U.S. title but I guess they'll they'll defend that at the G one special. Even when they in, made uh, a, a U.S. based preview show before one of their most recent before before Russell King, remember they did a little preview show. It still kind of stunk. It was still kind of like Kevin Kelly and and uh, and what's his name from uh, the other dude. Anyway, I'm really this is great great audio podcasting. I got a lot of <laughs> no, but I'm saying it, it with Rocky Romero. It's it was it was okay, right. but it it didn't have juice. It didn't get you really dialed into the storylines. They still don't get that part. And if and if they do, Adam. That's when it could become something. Really, I, we've had this talk a million times. We have. Damn, this is going to be a great show. And damn, these last two matches are going to be fired up. Before we get to those last two matches, what do you think from watching Being the Elite is in that box that Kenny hasn't opened yet and won't open until after Dominion? Because that's the part of the Being the Elite storyline that I'm really dialed into. Well, I think it's a pro wrestling t-shirt. My guess is it's like a some mashup of the Elite and the Golden Lovers, like a Golden Elite or Elite Lovers type of shirt. And it's them, like an olive branch out to Kenny hey, why don't the four of us come together and be a faction? That's my guess. And that's how I think it's going to wind up playing out. But I don't know. I mean, it is a pro wrestling tease box. So that's interesting. But to go back to what you just said, you know what? I am dialed in. You know what does hit me in every effing feel spot? And I say effing on purpose. The intercontinental title match between Tetsuya Naito and Chris F-Face Jericho. I shouldn't (laughs) say that. He's (laughs) the one that's saying F-Face and calling Tetsuya Naito it in two of the best wrestling promos I have heard 
in years. BC, I am totally juiced and amped up about this match. Jericho obviously claiming once again that they're going to be the main event, even though they're not, obviously. Um, I'm ready to go. I want to see this match as much as I want to see Okada um, Omega, as much as that's going to be great. This match, I am so curious at what's going to happen. And I do think there's a legitimate chance that Jericho walks out with the Intercontinental title. That's the hook in there. That That's the real key. Like, yeah, it's going to entertain us. But is it just a one-off or are we going places? Because great, simple storytelling, right? You, you nailed it there about who's really the bigger name and star and who should really main event. And if you've listened to Jericho's promos, along with the fact that he says the F word a ton of times, and it's fantastic, he's really focusing on the whole like, hey, the fans voted you out of that Wrestle Kingdom main event a few years ago. When you finally got in the WrestleMania, Wrestle Kingdom main event this year, guess what happened? I outstaged you with Kenny Omega. Brilliant, simple we had a blade job. We've had everything we need for this. I love what the match will be from an intensity standpoint. You're going to see that crazy old long-haired version of Jericho act like a crazy heel. But will this lead to something else? Will this lead to San Francisco a month later or a week later? Is it Or a couple weeks later? Is that July 7th in San Francisco? Is that where we're going? Who the hell, who the hell knows? It's yeah, what, whatever. It's good. Whatever. The point is, if Jericho can even win the belt now to drop it then or to drop it at all in or whatever's going to happen, I am dialed in. I want to see him win it to just to let you know he's still out there in the revolution. It could really be fun to see if Jericho can put together a few more matches. If we can see him not just do two more against Naito. What if he, what if this led to him, you know, giving having a one-off with a Cody or with an Okada? I mean, what if this led to him getting a title shot? Like, we could really do some fun stuff here. I know he's not going to be in the G1 tournament, but I really, really, really hope this is not the end. You know, it's interesting. He just he keeps reiterating his relationship to WWE and WWE, to my surprise, keeps using him while this cruise situation is going on. And while he's doing New Japan, he was at the Greatest Royal Rumble. He was at Raw 25 wearing an Alpha Club shirt, obviously yes. under his scarf. It, it's strange to me where WWE would never allow that to happen with anyone else. Well, they, they got a Fozzie song for NXT TakeOver Chicago. And they, and they just signed a Fozzie song for NXT TakeOver Chicago. So... It's really strange. I don't ultimately think he's going to win the title because I think there has to be a lot more of a commitment if you're going to put the title, your number two title, on someone in New Japan. But it's interesting that it is the Intercontinental title because it would extend that streak from him even though WWE wouldn't count it. It would be another one added to his resume. The only other real, quote-unquote, Intercontinental title. So it's interesting. But these promos have been great. I'm so excited for this match. I think you're going to see a different side of Tetsuya Naito that we really haven't seen because he's tranquilo, but you're not he's not going to be able to be that in this match against Jericho. And if you have not seen the latest promo where Jericho is basically sitting in a hotel room drinking Grey Goose and cursing at uh, Tetsuya Naito, you need to see it just for the crowd reaction alone. It's so funny. I You want to talk about all in? I'm all in on this match. Yes. The, my problem with Jericho maybe long term this year and my, my dream scenario there is we know he's not going to do G1, and outside of this USA and San Francisco show it's going to be on Access in July, there's not another pay-per-view in NJPW that's a major for the rest of the year, right? They're, they're all sort of junior majors. There's not until Wrestle Kingdom in January. So I guess the goal is that right now they're talking and he's saying, all right, I'm going to do some other things, but I will be there for you in Wrestle Kingdom in January. So maybe, even if he doesn't win the belt on, on Saturday morning, something happens that sets... The, the, the seeds in motion for a potential Wrestle Kingdom match next year against somebody. That'd be great. I mean, That'd be I mean the only other match that I would honest, honestly, the only other match that I would want to see 
is Chris Jericho against Okada. Outside of that, I don't know. And 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 how does Jericho get that match with Okada unless he wins this one? Because you can't lose to Omega and Naito and say, oh yeah, I'm the number one contender, you know, for the heavyweight championship. What about Chris Jericho, uh, CM Punk at all in? Come on, come on. This is a great time to be a fan. I'm fired up. All right, and, that... Daniel Bri- and, and Daniel Bryan's contract will expire, and he won't re-sign it, and he'll be there at midnight. Yeah, well, yeah, good, good I'm sure it'll all he'll come together. He'll be there together. in a mask at midnight. He'll be there in an El Generico mask. Anyway, uh, Naito is going to win, I, I think. I'm hoping Jericho. Yeah. The real suspense, the real intrigue, of course, is this main event. Even more than this Jericho match, obviously. It's the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Okada Omega Part 4. Three times they wrestled last year. All three may have been the three greatest matches in pro wrestling history, and that's no hyperbole. This one, no time limit. Two out of three falls. We had a really nice debate with Nick Costos a couple weeks ago on the show about who should win, who could win, why. Adam, in the end, I'll jump right ahead to it. In the end, I want and I think Kenny should win. It's time. Yes, you could tell a different story that leads to Kenny winning at Wrestle Kingdom. I want Kenny to win right now. I don't want to wait anymore. I want the Kenny Omega full title run to start right now because then you can use the G1 to really set your chess pieces in motion for what's going to happen at Wrestle Kingdom. I don't know what I want, but if Kaz Okada is the best wrestler in the world, and that's what, how he's being booked. And that's what he is. It's true. Omega's great. Okada's better. Just, he is. Okay? He's not, not cooler. Promo-wise. He's not cooler, but he's a little bit... Would you, are you saying he's a little bit better in the ring? Because I think Kenny's yeah. a little bit better in the ring. No, Okada's better in the ring. But, again, by a hair, but he is. And if, and if this is your golden goose, if you're New Japan, and you are booking him like Hulk Hogan, you have to have him win this match. I, I don't. I think you have Kenny win the first fall, and you have because Okada. You have to remember how the storyline is being built, and I'll just talk briefly, and then I'll let you go. But the storyline has been built that Kenny was unable to hit the one winged angel. He was able to kick out of the rainmaker, but not able to hit the one winged angel. Then he hits it, and Okada grabs the rope in match two, and there's a draw. And he finally hits it in match three. Okada can't kick out, and Omega wins in the G1. Right? That's the that's how this rivalry has gone. That's the storyline here. So I think he hits it in fall one, wins, Okada goes down, Okada wins fall two, Okada kicks out of the one wing angel in fall three, hits the Rainmaker, wins the match. Wow. I think you have to book him that way. The problem is... Wow, that got me fired up right there. Yeah. Yeah, listen, Gato, call me. You know, you can give me a hundred bucks for that one. Um, The problem is, if Okada does retain who is left to actually beat him. And I think that's kind of the problem WWE ran into with Hulk Hogan. Yes. And Okada seemed to have been recently having title defenses against, like he shined up uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and had a little run there, but we already did that. So, and he did Tanahashi again to set the record and he did Naito. You're right. Who would he go up against next? That would matter. That is interesting. All right. How about this scenario? If I'm just book the damn territory with you, how about this scenario? If Okada has to keep it for what you're saying, and I just this just came to me, all right? How about this? How about this? How about Koda is ringside? And we look, we know they have a relationship. It's a really serious relationship. In the third fall, Kenny's taking too much damage. Koda throws in the damn towel. Kenny can't believe it, but that's his boy. That's his man. That's his everything, right? So Okada still got the belt. In the meantime, 
Kenny and Kota have a nice little tag title feud with the Young Bucks that ends with them winning the tag titles. So that appeases the idea of, man, you got to put the big belt on Kenny or he's going to leave for somewhere else, right? And then the G1 happens. And the G1's spectacular and freaking epic. But guess what happens in the G1? Oh, man, I'm fired up for this. Kota wins the damn G1. He gets the title shot against uh, against uh, Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, man. And the jealousy. Man, the, the mega powers are about to explode in my pants right now. The jealousy <laughs> of Kenny that Kota's going to fight Okada for the belt is going to lead to them breaking up. Oh, man. I, I don't know where you go from there. I, I, I look like a spillage all the table, but that I've just fired up on where it could go if they go in that direction and use that relationship storyline. We all haven't right. we haven't used the term a lot, but Oof. that's milk of Marknesia right there that I just saw spilling out of uh, B. Campbell. Wow. All I right. think you could I think you could also have them way simpler. Throw in the towel and have them you know try to make it work between them, and then have the match that everyone wants: Kenny Omega Kota Ibushi for nothing. It doesn't have to be for anything. At Wrestle Kingdom, because Kenny, that is, this storyline, this Golden Lover storyline is what Kenny has always wanted in New Japan. They did it in that organization, DDT. Now they're in New Japan doing it. But the Omega Ibushi match, I, I may have said Okada earlier. I meant Ibushi. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, the Omega Ibushi match is like the potential swan song for Omega, where if he is going to go to WWE and not resign, that's the last match that he probably yes. should have with Ibushi going over. The thing I'll say to poke a little hole in your idea, Ibushi's still a free agent. He just signs as, as a freelancer. I don't know that NGPW is going to give a freelancer the G1 victory and put him in a title match to potentially end Okada's reign at Wrestle Kingdom if ah, he's a freelancer and he can show up in, at the WWE Cruiserweight Classic 2 if he wants. So I don't necessarily know that that would happen, but you are correct that Ibushi is the guy who's left for Okada. That's and now, true. And look, by the way, I think Kenny and Ibushi, Kenny and Kota, are the only two that have a chance to have a match better than what Kenny and Okada have had. That's my personal, you know, their chemistry. So I agree. Good. We've said it before. All right. The, all three matches were different. The first one, I think, is the greatest match in wrestling history at Wrestle Kingdom 2017 in January. It was 47 minutes of epic high spots. Second one, 60-minute time limit that was more chain wrestling, a little bit more, a little bit different feel to it. Third one was like a microwave half hour of just fast-paced intense. The fourth one has to be different in a lot of ways to stand out. And I think it just plays into what I talked about. You got to use Koto Ibushi. It's got to be more about the story this time. Let's have it more about the story where there's moments of feels that just get you to feel it. Do you feel it? We got to have that this time. How long do you think it's going to go? I, I started to flirt with the idea of if you really want to make it different, it's got to be short and surprising and abrupt. And I don't mean Goldberg beating uh, Brock Lesnar or Goldberg beating Kevin Owens, that type of abrupt. But it's got to be, what if it's like shorter than it should be? But no, it can't be. I'm sorry. No time limit in two out of three falls. It can't be. You can't do it that way. Two well, out it of could three be. Falls. It could be 45 minutes. I mean, it doesn't have to be longer, but I think it's going to be. In the 30 to 45 long. sweet zone. You think it's going to be under an hour? Yes. Wow. So you're, are you kind of, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be 75 minutes. That is the only way I guess to really make it different to say, okay, no time limit. We've done a Broadway. Let's do it. Let's do a double Broadway brother. Let's go deep. Let's go into areas that no one's ever done before. Wow. Well, think about that. It took like 50 minutes to get fall one in their first match. And the second one went to a time limit draw. And yeah, the third one ended again. Cause he didn't kick out of the one winged angel. He finally was able to hit it in the G one. I think there's pieces of all of that. 
Like the the gap between fall one and two is long. The gap between two and three is really short. You know what I mean? Something like that. I think you're able to piece all that together. But this does have the opportunity to be the best wrestling match of all time. I'm not saying it's yes. going to. Yes. Say but that. It, but, but it has that opportunity. I thought, I agree with you that I think one is the best match ever. I think I think Nick thinks two is the best match ever, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so does Scott I thought Meltzer. three was outshined by Omega Naito. Yes, I agree. I agree. In, in the same G1, the next day or two days later, whatever it was. So this it's this one versus Omega Okada one. It's in my incredible book. what the pre- almost like the pressure, like what we're talking about, the stakes to try to best a six and a quarter star match, you know, whatever you think, if you think that's BS or not. Like we're saying, this match literally has a chance to be the greatest of all time. I mean, it's insane. Uh, you know, Costos talks a lot about that when it's at that level, it's like Shakespeare, right? It just, it's like, right. th- this has that potential to just, with all those storyline, you know, implications, with the physical potential of these two, I am so damn fired up. This snuck up on me, but I am lathered up to where I need to be Prediction, uh, I guess you, you kind of swayed me back into predicting Okada wins it. So, yeah, Okada's going to keep it. Oh, I thought I thought you had Omega. I did. I wanted Omega, but you, you just, with the whole Kogan, you just kind of made a lot of sense, and it could t- tell a longer story to, to Wrestle Kingdom 2018 or 19. Wow. I'm all discombobulated. We're, this will be a five-hour show. we got to get it's out okay. of it. It's okay. Silver King making a lot of sense is really what ITC is based upon, so that, uh, that's a totally fine way to uh, to wrap this up. I will say, BC, the floor of this is a five-star match. And that's very rare. Just to like to end this thing, we go into like, like uh, what's it called? Styles Nakamura, right? We thought the ceiling in WWE at their ages, five, five and a quarter stars. Didn't come close. The floor of this is five stars. Anything below a five-star match, this is a massive disappointment. It just is. That's so wacky. It does kind of let you know that Seth Rollins is not the best wrestler in the world. But it's also, that's so absurd. You know what? I wonder what a Seth Rollins Kaz Okada match. Can you before. silver hedge that back and just we'll, we'll forget it ever happened? No, we'll just, no, I'm, no, I'm not. Listen, we'll see what happens Saturday, and my opinion can possibly uh, change if Okada just goes out out of his you know mind again. But I was when I talk about Rollins as the best thing, wrestler in the world, I'm not just talking about wrestling. I think Okada is the best wrestler in ring technician, you know, ability in in between in the squared circle. Rollins for me is the total package. All right, we gotta, I don't we're running that's... with the blows on time. I got to pick up my kids. This is this is real life right here. We got to okay. get on. BC, BC, let's move on to pay-per-view rewind. Oh, yeah. Can you feel that? Oh, it's so great to be back in pay-per-view rewind. September 11th, 2014, the Full Sail Arena in Winter Park, Florida. NXT TakeOver Fatal 4-Way was the name of that card. The main event, a Fatal 4-Way match as Adrian Neville defended his NXT Championship against Tyson Kidd, Tyler Breeze, and Sami Zayn. You may say, BC, didn't we already do a pay-per-view rewind for the match that followed this that involved two of these guys when Sami Zayn fought Neville at NXT R Revolution just two months after this? Yes, but I'm sorry, guys. My name on the show... And ultimately, in this Campbell podcast, when it comes to pay-per-view rewind, <laughs> I love this stretch of NXT so badly because the storytelling is just so good. Everything about it gives me those feels that I wanted to go back in the well. I, if we're going to do a pay-per-view rewind segment, I didn't want to miss this match. And Adam, the first thing that jumps out to me, and I love doing pay-per-view rewind because it resets that era, that, that month, that September 2014. What did things look like? What did these guys, where were these guys in their career? 
there wasn't some epic sort of feature, but we saw in the ring entrances just a reminder of some things. And for me, when Tyson Kidd comes out with the headphones on and he's a heel, and you remember that, like a lot of people's gimmicks, it was so much better in NXT. And, you know, even before he went to the main roster, he's just so cool looking with the headphones. And you forget because his career was so short how great he really was in the ring, how cool he was, and how I say this all the time. The best version of Cesaro we ever saw was with Tyson Kidd next to him, and that's for a reason. Did it give you that same reminder? Like, holy crap, I wish it could be different for Tyson Kidd right now. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't Kidd, he was in WWE, went back to NXT, and then went back with Natty when they were both done, like, helping train or whatever the hell they were actually doing, refining their characters. But yeah, I mean, he's extremely talented. He was able to work that particular gimmick. And it's no surprise to me why he's such a good match agent in WWE. Yes, exactly. And, and the, because he, I, I would be shocked, totally shocked, if he did not play a large role in booking that match. And in this match ends up having such brilliant spots in it that we'll get to in a second. And I agree with you. When you talk about a character that was better than the now, everybody knows I'm the, I'm the biggest Tyler Breeze fan in the world. But look at this. This was prime Prince Pretty, Adam. And it's like this was a wrestler then who who was almost cut when he was Mike Dalton and figured out a way to stay on the roster. And I think this was the mountaintop of him figuring out his character and mastering it as that vain. Like, he's not the funny clown that he is today. Yes, there's some cheese to his look even back then. He had the boot, the puffy boots. But he's a clown now. He was a vain dude back then who was so freaking cool. Did the model gimmick with the selfie and the phone that, like... Man, it's sort of the whole idea that Bobby Roode now is just glorious and he's nothing else. Tyler Breeze back then had substance and he was tough and he was everything I wanted him to be. This guy, I love this that version of him. Yeah, he he his character in NXT. I didn't particular. I don't like him like you do. I'm not. That's not does, does not mean he's not good. I think he's extremely talented. But I thought I think he's better than the gimmick. And I've always thought the same thing for Johnny Curtis Fandango. Yes. like they saddled him. With fan, like it's different than Goldust, right? They saddled Dustin with Goldust, but he kind of helped create it and, and allowed it to fought and, and it had incarnations and so on and so forth. Fandango, the name, was always a failure, okay? And the gimmick was always a failure. And with Tyler Breeze, this was a fine NXT gimmick. But it was never gonna work on the main roster. It just uh, it's could have. It could have if you presented it like as what it was, serious. It's a cheesy gimmick, but you present it serious. Instead, he's a he's a joke. I mean, that's 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 what. But happens. even before he tagged with Fandango, they tried to present him as a heel and as serious. And then and he just... tried to no. Then you know what happened? He had to go home early for a family thing. He left. Vince got mad. Vince pulled right. him from that icy feud, and it was all over. Neville sure. is the champion in this match, and I've gone on this rant before. But you know what? He was in NXT. He was a badass chain wrestler from England with an absurd eight pack, who just so happened to be able to do flying moves that you've never seen before. There's no superhero gimmick, no king, no BS. He was a gritty babyface and an obscenely good wrestler. Like, why can't he just be that, Adam? This did this I mean, yes. Well, he well turned... hold on, hold on. Let's not act like he didn't leave WWE with a fine gimmick. I king was gonna Neville. say he returned he redeemed himself in two oh five live from that crap superhero babyface thing he was on the main roster. But at the same time, you go back and you watch this. It's a different dude. Adrian Neville is a different dude than even King of the Cruiserweights Neville. King of the Cruiserweights Neville is the best version of Neville in WWE. Interesting. I'll, see, I'll still take this one. I'll still take this one because it's more. He was nothing. This guy was nothing. No, it wasn't. He was great. Nothing. The thing is, here, here's the difference, though. It's not forced down your throat. 
It's just, let's see what this guy is. And then you watch him and you realize that the substance is there. The substance isn't trying to knock you over the head with a Kong, right? The substance is there. This guy can wrestle and he can fly and he's gritty and he's a babyface who kind of does edgy heel things, as we'll get to in this match. Love this guy. Yeah, I mean, look, all you're, all you're really saying is he's a really good wrestler and he had a fine character in NXT. That's true, but you're not going to convince me that him as a heel with the beard and the long hair and cutting the promos he was able to cut and having that, using that, Instead of the instead of the grittiness being behind the scenes that kind of shows itself in the match, he was able to express that all the time in WWE at 205 Live. Yeah, the Mighty Mouse gimmick sucked. We all knew that. Okay, when he got brought up and they and they had the whole entrance with the cape and all that stuff, it's Vince. Like it's ridiculous, right? But they figured it out, and that's the thing I still don't get about Neville, which is I understand why he left. Totally, I don't understand why he hasn't come back. Interesting, interesting. Sami Zayn, oddly enough, is the only guy who hasn't changed at all, except for I did like the, the tights he was wearing back then with the flags on it. I'd like to see a return to that. You know what? Uh, Osprey does that now with like the flag, like the flags of flags r- around his waist, right? That's like kind of what he wears now. Eh, I'm okay, look. What this match reminded me of is as good as Sami Zayn is in the ring. And, and he's been able to wrestle similarly, not the same, but similarly on the main roster. As good as he is in the ring, as good as he can be being a swarmy, annoying character, there's guys in wrestling that you gravitate towards and there's others you don't. He's not my cup of tea. He just says Interesting. But this is my favorite version of him. This is the beginning of the baby-faced underdog who is almost too nice of a guy to be, a, you know, and we saw that in the in the match that happened after this, right, when he finally did beat Neville for the belt and he finally was gritty enough to do it. This is still when they're telling the perfect story of the guy. Does he really have what it takes for this level? Man, he can wrestle. Who do you think, before we even get into this match, who is the MVP? Who's the, who's the worker of these four that just jumped out the most to you? Ooh, kid sold like a mother the entire kid, match. It might be kid. Yeah, you know, he, the, sold, he, he sold well the whole match. Zane offensively, if you had an off... Kid's the defensive MB, MVP. Zane's the offensive MB, MVP. I yeah. stumbled over MVP twice. And you love this This match is so good because this is really the first of its kind for NXT to have a multi-person match, the first fatal four-way for the belt. This was really a step forward them for them in booking to see if they can do this type of match. Everyone had their spots. Everyone had their moment. And what I loved about it, Adam, was the way the story was told. It got spotty at the end. It was never overly spotty, but there were big spots at the end. But they built that foundation first, and that foundation was four guys brawling all over the arena to sort of start the match. And it was two babyface good friends in Zayn and Neville and two heels who didn't really have a natural connection in Kid and Breeze. And it almost, it was like, it, the foundation was built so well that it was almost too slow. It was like they really worked hard to set that stage. Yeah, the first half of the match was too slow for me because it didn't need to be. They, they, they could have gotten to the action that they had that was too, not too fast, but wrapped up too quickly almost at the end because you've been waiting the whole match for it to get fast and get exciting. And then it finally does with that, uh, I forgot what it's called, but it's the double superplex powerbomb. Yes, which we thing. see all We're, the time now. It was like revolutionary yeah. then. Right. So once that happened, um, then the match really picked up and everything was great. Uh, I thought the finish was fantastic and how they got there with 
Neville diving in to save Breeze from tapping oh out. God. So really, that, really smart. I, I was going to get um, to that in a second, but let's hit that for a second. I'm sorry. You've got the sharpshooter, Tyson Kidd, late in that match. He's got it on Breeze. Breeze might tap. It was sort of the sequence where every one of the four had a had a chance where you legitimately thought they were going to win. Like, they booked it perfectly in that way. Neville diving in to save his title by catching Breeze's arm. I mean, come on. That's great stuff right there. It is. And then and then Zane, you know, when, when Neville eventually at the end of the match uh, breaks up the Zane pinfall attempt after he hits the Haluva kick and Zane comes out upset to confront him outside the ring about it. He knocks him out, does the red arrow, wins the match, wins the retains the title. That's how a match like that needs to end. It's so it's so smart booking. Oh, and I want to get back to that in one second. All right, some things I liked early on. Sammy Zane did a face oh, buster reversal yeah. into a coachy clutch submission attempt. I want to see more of that from Zayn, from Zane these days. Like right, like that's not bad. Yeah. One thing from the production that stand out. It was an interesting. Uh, announced trio. It was Byron Saxton, Tom Phillips, and Renee Young. And I think you got to say in hindsight, I'm going to be really honest. I love Renee Young in almost anything. I think she's really bad on commentary as the third mic. She's admitted that as much multiple times in recent years and said she was against that experiment from the beginning. It doesn't work. And it's like you're asking a non-wrestler to provide analysis as the third spot. If she was the play-by-play, it maybe would have had a chance if she had those chops. She doesn't have the chops in the third person to try to be funny or interesting. In fact, all she did was kind of annoy Byron Saxton, and there's this early funny moment when the action spills out onto the stage. Byron Saxton does this long explanation in great detail of why it's a smart strategy to brawl outside and wear down your opponents, and not five seconds later you hear this. Hey, Byron, is it smart to take them outside of the ring to wear them out? Uh, I just said that. You eliminate two guys, bring one in. No, 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 no. Byron's fired up. Byron Saxton, I never really loved, even today. He's really good in this match. I think he's the MVP of this trio. Corey, um, in his role now with Byron, holds him down. Yes. Not on purpose, but Corey's so good that he jumps all over everything Byron says and doesn't necessarily give him the opportunity to flesh out his thoughts. So that's part of why. But Byron, truth be told, is the best third man on the main shows in WWE right now. He's better than Coach. He's better, way better than Otonga. He's better than Booker. He's really coming into his own. But I'm not going to stand for you slandering Renee Young because even though even though she admitted to us, by the way, in New Orleans, that role was not for her. Okay, that's how she wouldn't be in the role she is today if she didn't get that opportunity then. I'll give you that. I'll give it. And look, you got to experiment. You got to try. They thought that would be a trial. But by the way, two minutes after uh, Byron Sexton snapped at her, Byron broke down why Breeze and Kid, both heels, would be smart in forming this temporary alliance. And then Renee says this. I did not think that it was going to go that way at all. I mean, they were they were right at each other's throats the entire time during that interview with Alex Riley. But for whatever reason, they seem to be on the exact same page right now. The reason is it helps you get ahead. That's why they're forming a temporary alliance. Oh. Byron's fired up. He's like, shut up. You're ruining the match. There was a couple of moments there where I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. You never see Byron get that angry. Anyway, enough enough Renee. Can we, do, can we do pay-per-view rewind and not commentary rewind? Because hey, I'm, I'm standing up for Renee. It's yes, part of the look, package. She wasn't, she wasn't good in that role. All right. That's okay. Long physical brawl for the first half of the match. In the middle, there's actually some real wrestling. Two guys knocked out on the floor. You see Kid and Zane do some chain wrestling almost, some some long pauses there. Tyson Ru- Kid has his run in the middle, and then you get toward the end. And it's like you start they start to build up this the crowd is what obviously what makes it. The full sale crowd supports everything. They have the right chance at the right moments. It's just great. But this match, Adam, not about characters, not about merch sales, not about hard cams. It's about the wrestling, and there was something legitimate at stake, 
And there was this real intensity in, in almost every fit pinfall attempt that I think is the heart and soul of this match, and in a lot of ways, NXT. Like, it just feels different. It's just like the crowd's doing this is wrestling chants. Like, there were moments in here that I just lost my stuff. I just got fired up, and I was so dialed into what they were doing. One of those moments, that springboard moonsault from Neville taking out the two heels on the floor. Have you ever seen anybody jump that high? That might be the highest anyone's ever jumped. <laughs> uh, Osprey occasionally, but no, yeah, that, that's incredible. All right, let's get to the finish here. You finally get that Zayn and Neville stare down that they teased to open the match. And these two are friends. They're going to have a match two months from now. It's a big part of the finish. That gets broken up. You start to have these insane mini sequences. Did you see that when Tyler Breeze interrupts Sammy's Huluva kick with his beauty shot, instantly supermodel kicks Tyson Kidd, and then Neville comes off the top row from the other direction and Breeze nails him with a drop kick. He goes for the pin and kick out. You get freaking Prince Pretty going nuts, selling how angry he is, selling what this means. This was the beginning of where this match got absolutely insane. You gotta love this, man. Fight with your heart. Fight like this is your last night in this universe. Give it everything you've got. This is what NXT is all about. By the way, Byron, MVP of this match, I'm telling you, sold the intensity, sold the, the what's going on there. And then you lead to what is the best sequence of the entire match. You mentioned it earlier. Zayn has Tyson Kidd tied up in the corner. You think he's going to hit him with the Huluva kick to end the match. Instead, does a suicide dive from a crazy angle to take Neville out. Then hits the diving DDT through the ropes on Breeze. Then the Huluva kick on Tyson Kidd. And as the ref goes for the three count, Neville with a quasi heel turn pulls the ref's legs out from underneath. Oh my God, I was losing myself rewatching that. Fantastic moment. Yeah, the finish, it's one of the better booked finishes that we've probably seen from then to now in matches. I thought the Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho, I know, I don't think you loved it or, or Nick didn't love it. The finger on the rope was up there. Um, and there's been a couple others recently that have been obviously great in, in WWE because WWE, while we spent most of the show criticizing it, they're able to book some good matches here and there. And we've definitely seen that. Hell, Cedric Alexander, uh, Buddy Murphy last week. Okay, incredible finish, right? Um, this one is up there because it's just the psychology behind Zayn getting upset. I mentioned this earlier, but getting upset at Neville for doing what Neville should be doing as champion and him getting upset, costing him the match and potentially winning the title and then how it gets remixed by by NXT booking at the next pay-per-view, next takeover, into the Zayn one-on-one match with Neville, where we, we all know what happens. I'm not going to spoil it in case anyone doesn't. Um, it's just so smart. They had the future storyline planned in the finish of the match. And, and that is yes. what sets NXT apart from WWE. And what's really cool about this friend storyline is they had a match on regular NXT a few weeks before. Sammy couldn't finish Neville off because he had that hiccup moment where he's like, this is my friend. I can't take advantage of him. He's injured. And he didn't win the title when he could. And then you have this Sammy, you know, confronting Neville outside. Just like what you said, Neville takes him out, hits the red arrow on Kid. But Sammy dives in at the end of that three count and almost grabs the leg to break up the pin. Like, it's just the timing's perfect. The psychology is perfect. You know what it missed, Adam? This is really what it missed. It missed an epic call that missed Moro Ronaldo. That finish was a perfectly booked but a bit underwhelming from both the crowd and the announcer. Tom Phillips didn't really give you a boom. I have no soundbite to play. I have no great moment of, of Moro Ronaldo basically, like, you know, losing his stuff and being like, oh, my God. Like, just, like, it's insane. 
<laughs> if we had that, this might be a five-star match, and I really mean that. It was just sort of just missing that, and it leads us to the grade. Dave Meltzer gave it four and a half stars. What is Adam Silverstein's score? Um, that's tough to argue with. I'd say four and a quarter, a little bit lower, mostly for the lack of action early and the storytelling didn't necessarily pick up until three quarters of the way through the match. The finish got it over the four star hump. I don't think it gave it a full half point. And I don't necessarily think the action was that incredible. If I'm grading it today in 2014, I might've gone four and a half, four and three quarter stars. But 2014 is before the run of matches that we have seen both in NXT and WWE and uh, and NJPW. And it's very tough for me to go ahead and rate that equal to some, like the Buddy Alexander, uh, Buddy Alexander, Cedric Alexander, Buddy Murphy match, I thought was better. And I gave that four and a half stars last week. To me, I can't put this on that plane. I'm going to put this, I think he's right on with four and a half. And I I do understand what you're saying. And those are, 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 or fair criticisms as my criticism that it didn't have a call that really equaled what the finish was, but the storytelling overall to get you to care about each pinfall attempt, that it means so much. Some of that though, is just what NXT is the crowd buying into the real life stories. The fact that if any of these guys could win the belt, it might mean that they actually get a call up to WWE soon. So there's a real life angle in there of overcoming and being a baby face. That's just incredible. And the idea of Neville quasi heel turning the next week, NXT opened up, Oddly enough, with Titus O'Neil, who came down from the main roster, and he called out Sammy and Neville, and they did a little morality play back and forth where Sammy's like, look, man, I'm not mad at you, but I never, I can't do that. That I couldn't act like that. And that, of course, set the stage two months later for when Sammy finally went over the top and won in a match that we reviewed that I think is fantastic. Four and a half stars. I, I just, uh, it just gives me the feels. And this is what I want. This is pro wrestling, Adam. This is, it's not hard. It's a, it's a drama. It's a play. It got me to care. Raw, can we please do that? I, I have nothing else to say about that, except for that I love pay-per-view rewind. And I don't care if it makes our shows three hours long. Adam, your turn. You are in the seat for next week. What the heck are we going to watch? Well, this worked out nicely because obviously we have Money in the Bank next week coming out of Chicago. Next week's episode, we're obviously going to preview Money in the Bank. We're going to preview NXT TakeOver. Chicago, I was going to go with another NXT match, but ultimately, it's Money in the Bank week, folks. Let's watch a Money in the Bank ladder match, the one I am choosing. The 2013 Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Daniel Bryan versus CM Punk versus Randy Orton versus Rob Van Dam in Philadelphia, by the way, versus Sheamus versus Christian. And I believe this was Christian's last Money in the Bank ladder match or close to it. He was in almost every single one, and he never won any of them. Uh, This match is very entertaining from start to finish. Obviously, you have CM Punk and Daniel Bryan in it, and this kind of helps prove my point that I've made in previous shows that WWE, for a long period of time, has really struggled to fill the main event picture by losing Daniel Bryan and CM Punk like consecutively in 2014. So watch that match and we'll discuss it next week on ITC. Absolutely. Fired up for that real quick field spots on the way out. I want to put my hand in here and tell you this. You heard how much I enjoyed NXT last week. I thought it was the best show overall the entire week and my field spot popped the most in terms of pure fandom in that main event when it's the booking and the psychology of the NXT women's title match between Dakota Kai and Shayna Baszler, which ended with Baszler choking her out and then going back to the well 
and then Nikki Cross running in. And the Nikki Cross is almost a separate talk altogether because she's still the frantic, crazy, rabid character, but she's now a babyface and getting babyface cheers. And it's weird, and I'm not sure if it works, but it kind of does in a Bray Wyatt babyface way right now. It's That's very exactly interesting. But even if she hadn't run in, this would have been my moment. I just love the damn story that they told. It was so simple. It was gritty. They spent a few weeks building it up. You know what NXT does not do, by the way? If they have a main event booked, they don't give us different versions of that match on NXT for three weeks ahead of time if they have a booked match for a pay-per-view, right? They don't do that. They tell you a story over time with vignettes and interviews. I love the story they told. I knew Baszler was going to win all the time, but the story of Dakota Kai being so mentally screwed up from what Baszler was doing is fantastic. Uh, Right show, wrong moment for the feel spot. I'm going to get to that in 20 seconds, though. I want to give a quick shout-out to Leo Rush. He's getting called up to 205 Live after one, I think, match on NXT TV. Great vignette this week on 205 Live. And speaking of 205 Live, TJP cutting a promo during a match, being the only wrestler in history to do it without huffing and puffing while cutting the promo. That would have been my feel spot. Hey, Nia Jax did that last week. Come on. What do you mean? Against that jobber while she was talking around to Rousey. Yeah, I said without huffing and puffing. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, uh, That would have been my feel spot. If not, for what happened last week on NXT when Ricochet leapt out of the ring onto the ramp in a full somersault, walked right up to Velveteen Dream and blew his mind, blew the mind of everyone in the audience and blew the mind of everyone that is a professional wrestling fan that saw that video on social media. That moment was incredible. I don't know how you can top that as a feel spot, BC. I can't even believe you didn't choose it for yourself. It's, it was great. And the only thing that made it even better was they talked to each other in like an urban speak, like two guys on the street who don't like each other. Like they got a little gangster there. Like, yes, these are two guys who hate each other. They're going to fight. Talk like it. Love it. Anyway, this show's four hours long. We have I cannot wait for here. us to cut. They talk to each other in an urban speak as a, uh, as a, uh, you know, audio drop for this talk show. About people in urban areas fight. That's how they talk. All right, let's get out of here before we offend anybody else. Okay, now say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, now get out of here. Oh, that's right a little now. rough, Randy. No, yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. Very well said. For the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, this is BC. Follow us at In This Corner CBS on Twitter. And I've got two words for the people. We out. We out.